This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Tuesday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Hope you're having a great uh, day. Tuesday, of course, it is September 13th, Positive Thinking Day. Think positive, Frank. Oh, you be positive. I'll be realistic. <laughs> Today's the day you you got to get your head in the right place. Positive Thinking Day. It's also Fortune Cookie Day if you're into fortune cookies. I've got one here for you, Matt. Do you what? A wise lumberjack always has a sharp saw. Wow. That is profound. Terry, didn't you say you were a lumberjack or you worked at a sawmill or something? I worked at a hardware store. Oh, hardware store. Did Sorry. you have it's, a it's sharp similar. saw? There were saws in the area. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to go near them. A wise lumberjack. That's a line you don't hear a lot. A wise lumberjack once said. On this show, you'd probably have a better odds of hearing about the foolish lumberjack. Yeah, more likely to lose an appendage. Yes. Uh, also, defy superstition day. You spilled the salt. Spilling the salt is very bad luck. Quick, toss some salt over your right shoulder. <laughs> if I recall, that didn't turn out so well for Mr. Carey. No. Uh, stepping under the ladder on Friday the 13th while it's clutching a horseshoe the right way up is a great way to start the Defy Superstition Day. Are you guys very stu- superstitious? No. How about you, Jeffrey? Um... No, I I don't make a I don't make a point of walking under a ladder. But if a black cat crossed your path, would you worry? No, but I I don't like cats in general. So <laughs> you're afraid of the old kitties. Yeah, I'm not very superstitious. Am I? No. I mean, I do cross my fingers every time. I wasn't need luck? Wasn't Stevie Wonder a little superstitious? Um. Yeah, I think he was. Anyway, um, <laughs> I think he was very superstitious. Is he? Are we going to have an appearance? Are you driving Maybe. towards a point here? I think, I think that means somewhere down the line, Stevie Wonder is going to appear, and maybe sing something about superstitious superstition. Hmm. We got a great show for you today. If you, uh, you know, the whole Donald Trump thing, the whole Hillary Clinton thing, that whole presidential election thing that's still going on. If I put a microphone in your face and asked you, what are the economic policies that most concern you about Mr. Trump? Hillary has pneumonia. Oh, she, wait. No, Hil- well, Hillary's that's not what you're talking about. Hillary's got some horrible disease, and Donald's a jerk. Well, do you know what the policies are? See, we, we have to choose a presidential candidate, and yet we may not even know what they are going to do to this, to this country and our economy. So today we'll be talking about presidential candidates and their economic policies with the BYU economics professor. We'll get to that as well. I mean, that's it's a big deal. And it's a, it's a hard thing to digest. I've read three major articles and didn't understand one of them. Now they're annotated and highlighted by one of our producers. Man, Lauren's I still don't incredible. understand what yeah. they're talking about. We'll get- <laughs> I'm like, what? All I want to know is who's going to make me pay more but I think taxes. that's the problem that's really with this the, whole thing is we don't know because – But just, it's a bigger issue than that too. It's bigger yeah. than my personal situation, but really that's what matters to me. Well, and getting – I mean one economic policy will create a 
you know, a tidal wave of five other policies. Mm-hmm. One little decision economically, let's just let's just raise minimum wage for everybody. Okay. Great. So who's going to pay for that? What's going to happen to the job markets? What's going to happen to trade issues? Who are we going to have to export and import? It's crazy. We'll get to that. All that fun. But first, let's get to Caitlin Thomas with the headlines. Caitlin, what's up? One day after her campaign revealed she was diagnosed with pneumonia on Friday, Hillary Clinton told CNN's Anderson Cooper on Monday that she is feeling much better. The diagnosis was announced on Sunday after Clinton was spotted stumbling as she left a September 11th memorial service in New York City. Clinton said she tried to power through the illness and her cough at first did seem like an allergy. Clinton vowed to get back on the campaign trail as soon as possible. Syria's ceasefire negotiated over the weekend by the U.S. and Russia was reportedly broken less than an hour after it took effect on Monday. Residents in the city of Aleppo reported that a government helicopter had dropped explosive cylinders on a rebel-held district. The New York Times reported rebels claimed to have killed four government soldiers. The NCAA announced on Monday that it was going to relocate seven championship events from North Carolina to protest the passage of House Bill 2, which requires people to use public bathrooms that match their birth gender and limits cities from passing anti-LGBT discrimination laws. The championships include women's soccer, men's basketball, and women's lacrosse, among others. And lastly for today... A third-class petty officer on the Dwight D. Eisenhower aircraft carrier checked into the ship's medical clinic with stomach pains Saturday only to learn that she was pregnant. And nine hours later, she delivered a healthy baby girl. A spokesman stated both the mother and the baby are healthy and are doing well. Had the mother known she was pregnant, she would have left operational command at 20 weeks and would never have been deployed to the Persian Gulf where the Eisenhower was stationed. As such, the aircraft carrier wasn't exactly stocked for an infant. Baby formula diapers and an incubator were all flown out to the ship once it became clear the officer was pregnant. Holy cow. Doesn't that, that surprise you how many times that happens? That yeah, happens people are quite surprised they don't, that. She, she yeah. didn't know she was pregnant, and nine hours later she delivered a baby. That I don't. I have a hard time with that. I think that I would be— I do not know. I think she doesn't dare say. Maybe, yeah, maybe she was worried. I, I mean, don't you know. got it. There's a point you just got to know, right? Like, when that know. thing's moving around inside of you— I mean, I've had a bad burrito, but I think this would be a little bit different than a bad <laughs> all burrito. All of a sudden, you feel a leg moving in your belly. That's just—I would think. Well, this baby would... and her are healthy. Yeah, that's yeah. good news. Good news. Kayla. This is the ideal situation for any pregnant woman, I think. Why? Oh, I'm pregnant. I'm having a baby right now. Oh, that would be great to get, just get it done. You mean? Yeah, to not know yeah. about it Surprise. for nine months. Yeah, you didn't have to nest for nine months. That's great. Except you are on a ship with thousands of men, and the. Boats rocking and maybe some seasickness. And they don't know. They didn't even have formula. They had to fly in formula and diapers. But you know what? How cute. If you were on a ship with thousands of women, you'd never even have to hold your baby. Just pass it around. I saw while I was getting my um, – while they were sticking a tube down my throat to check out my, my gut. Ew. Uh, a nurse brought her baby in to the rest of the nurses. Huh. She was on leave and brought her baby in, and holy cow, you'd think my my GERD was irrelevant. You're over here like, and then they just keep over here like, oh, it's so cute. Can you please help Do they me? try to talk to you when they do that? No, 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 no. Because you know the dentist tries to talk to you when It was he's... the greatest thing in the world. They just put you out. Nice. And then you, I watched, I looked at the clock while they're putting this thing on my mouth, and I'm thinking, wow, I can't believe you're already putting that thing on my mouth. Gone. I was out. <laughs> 
Exactly. And oh, I woke up, and there's my lovely wife. Did you feel a refreshing nap? Was it was it a good I didn't experience? Feel refresh, but I, I felt I didn't feel any pain. Okay, it was it was great. Were you groggy? Were you no. it's disoriented? Just, it's like waking up from a nap when you're like, oh, did I just fall asleep? Oh, nice. That was weird. Well, that that's in your future too, where you just sort of nod off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's in my present. <laughs> I do that all the time. Holy cow! So good to be alive, though. I'm telling you. Hey, uh, okay. I have been dying to talk about this Hillary Clinton thing. Mm. I don't know if you heard, but she's apparently got pneumonia. Pray for Hillary. That was the hashtag I saw. Oh, really? Yeah. Where'd that come from? Drudge. Okay. That was what? on Drudge? Yeah, Drudge Report kept pushing that Sunday afternoon. Pray for Hillary. Here, if, if you've Undisclosed ever, ailment. Pray for Hillary. If you've ever wondered if Hillary Clinton, if Donald Trump is a diplomat, here is a quote of Donald Trump talking about Hillary Clinton's illness and holding back every other tendency that's bad. Like you, I just uh, I see what I see. The coughing fit was uh, a week ago, so I assume that was pneumonia also. I mean, I would think it would have been, so something's going on. But I just hope she gets well and gets back on the trail, and uh, we'll, we'll be seeing her at the debate. That was it. Like... That was, was he nice. Not, he was so nice there. Was he not dying to just... On the other side, I heard people spin that as he uh, sees the polls are closing together. Getting you know, closer, they're, they're yeah. Getting more of a even poll here. And uh, he kind of sees he's in the high ground because she's sick, so it would uh, benefit him to be more diplomatic sure. rather than to go on the attack. I mean, what's he going to say? Ha ha! You're sick. So, as you're saying, he's restraining his probably things he would want to say. Oh, everything he, you know, he wanted to unleash the Kraken right there. Ha <laughs> ha! But he didn't do it. He doesn't dare do it. So he just wishes her, uh, you know, get better soon. Interesting thing, she's still talking. She shouldn't be saying anything. That was on Sunday. She walked out after 45 minutes, 90 minutes, and said, I'm feeling great. This is after she fell apart and, and they did, pushed her into a van. If you watch the video, it's, it's, you can't see much, but did you see the, the people that zoomed in on her feet? Yeah. She lost a shoe. Well, but she's dragging her feet. And it, it once was, they're dragging it, your feet. It looked like it was weekend at Bernie's. Yeah. <laughs> they were dragging a, uh, you know, a non-responsive individual. It, oh, it's crazy. And again, this gets back to all of the – there's got to be something else going on because this isn't the first time they've been dragging her feet. They have pictures of her trying to get up the stairs, getting a little wobbly. I was reading yesterday in, in uh, what Politico had an interview. Apparently, they have a very difficult time getting Hillary Clinton to drink water. Really? She does not like to drink water. So she becomes has a tendency to become dehydrated because yeah. she's not drinking What that. they need to do is just give her Diet Coke. That well, has water in it. Yeah, but not enough, apparently. <laughs> apparently, you're supposed to still drink water. Yeah. Then she made the statement of all statements, which um, I think in almost any other race, this would have – this is something that I think derailed Mitt Romney. A similar statement of the 47%. He said the 47%. If you remember, President Obama had one that he talked about how yeah, uh, what was his? it was Bible. People cl- uh, clinging yeah, to their, their Bibles and their guns. And people, oh, what was huh? that? 
And it was in a, a donor's uh, benefit, and it was only like on some really sketchy recording that everyone yeah. had of him saying it. So it sounded like it was a secret meeting. And it destroyed Romney's last Ro- Rom- month. Romney's was on someone, ha- some waiter had a camera yeah. at this event for donors in, in the South where he said the 47%. This was another uh, donor meeting, right? But, but yes. Hillary said it about a basket of deplorables. We are living in a volatile political environment. You know, to just be grossly generalistic, you could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. (laughs) Right? Kind of plain to the audience. (laughs) The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. And unfortunately, there are people like that. Well, she said, and he half. has lifted them up. Half of his supporters. She came back the, the yeah. next day and said that she regretted saying half. It wasn't. It half. shouldn't have been half. Because so I mean, the, half would be a quarter of then, those that have voted. Then the next question is: So what's the percentage then? Is yeah. it forty percent, thirty percent? And they they didn't answer. That's pretty much exactly what Trump was saying about Hispanics. You know, right. I assume some of them are good people, some but they're, they're rapists, they're murderers. Yeah. Yeah. He, he didn't use the catchphrase basket of deplorables. That's he didn't like have the, anything that catchy. No, nah, that's the that's the island of misfit toys. Really. But it got him. It, it got her in trouble. But now she now it's beautiful because she's got pneumonia. She can just say, I wasn't oxygenating. My lungs are full of fluid. I didn't know what I was saying there. And that was, I believe that the deplorables comment came Friday night, and she had the diagnosis of pneumonia Friday f- day. right before that event. And then she went to the Barbara Streisand, the Babs concert, mm-hmm. to raise more money. Well, everybody's now on top of that. Mike Pence has a comment about the, uh, the basket of deplorables. What Hillary Clinton did Friday night was shocking. I mean, the the millions of people who support Donald Trump around this country are not a basket of anything. They are Americans, and they deserve the respect of the Democrat nominee for president of the United States. For her to rattle off this litany of pejoratives Mm. was just really shocking. And anyone with that low an opinion of the American people should never hold the highest office. Mm. That's crazy. Trump's got a comment as well. Of life. We have the support of cops and soldiers, carpenters and welders, the young and the old, and millions of working class families. These were among the countless Americans that Hillary Clinton called deplorable. She called these patriotic men and women every vile name in the book. She called them racist, sexist, xenophobic, Islamophobic. She called Half of our supporters, a basket of deplorables. The disdain that Hillary Clinton expressed toward millions of decent Americans disqualifies her from public service. You cannot run for president if you have such contempt in your heart for the American voter. Hmm. I mean, that's that's true. Again, that's what killed Romney. And there's a video floating around last night at a rally of a Trump supporter slapping 
protesters at the rally in the head as the security is trying to get him out. And he's like yelling at him. They're trying to take pictures of him. He's yeah. trying to knock the phone out of there. So you have this image that people see of that's protesters. That's basket of deplorable guy. Now, we can't say that's every single person. No, no. And there's varying reports of people who go there and say, oh, look at all these people. But then you see they're from left-leaning left-leaning websites right whereas if you watch other people from right-leaning websites say there's wonderful people at these rallies so you're not sure what the true report is of who's at these rallies yeah but they're not all racist no only half just half of them them. and they're not all they're not all xenophobic they're not all clown phobic we watched a new york times video here in the studio yeah where they took a bunch of examples of the type of people it said on the the type of people you see at a trump rally they're it's, they're taking the examples of the, the, the narrative they're trying to crazy put out. ones that throw punches. Yeah. Which isn't everybody. Right. Some of them are just tired of government. I learned in college when you overgeneralize, you're probably wrong. Boy, you're that teacher was sure right. Yeah. And I graduated. So I mean that right there. See. <sighs> it's crazy. And yet she she she's got pneumonia, which again would negatively impact pretty much any other candidate but she's she's dancing she's and there could dodging. have been a body double and there may be a body double that really was the one that <laughs> did have party too that's much. a another theory that's floating around which, well and then you know. everyone's making fun of her van everyone every other candidate would get in a limousine or a suburban or it's whatever a ni- it's a nice van it's though. a nice van but she's got a van because there's a bed in it maybe she's yeah hmm. you know what i mean there's a bed in that there van Anyway, let's get to the real issues, huh? We will be talking about presidential candidates and their economic policies. The economics are made up by a lot of things, and they don't always, you know, taxes, job creation, trade, immigration, minimum wage, regulations. These are all part of the economic policies of a president. Which candidate uh, is going to impact the economy the most and how? Stick with us. We're talking about it up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, with the general election quickly approaching, many are wondering what it could mean for our economy. Remember, we are coming out of a pretty difficult recession, and uh, some would say kind of an anemic response to that as well. So issues like minimum wage, trade have all been the hot topic for both presidential candidates and other issues such as taxes, jobs, immigration have come up frequently as well. Here to talk to us today about how these candidates and their plans could affect our economy is Professor uh, Christian Vom. Lane, who's joining us. He is a professor here at BYU, assistant professor of economics at BYU, received his PhD in economics from Princeton, and is an expert in macroeconomics and labor economics. Uh, Christian, thanks for being with us. I'm happy to be here. This is, uh, I probably haven't read as much as I did for any other guest than you, because I had to read all of these supposed proposals from from Trump, from Hillary Clinton, and honestly, reading them all, I'm just confused. Because <laughs> when we talk economics, it's not it's not just kind of the overt money, you know, debt rate, debt debt kind of assets ratio. It's not it's taxes, it's job creation, trade, minimum wage, immigration, regulation. All of these issues create our markets, right, and our economy. So what do you think? As you as you look at 
both the candidates. Um, what what numbers do we even trust? What numbers do we go with? I mean, I think when you look at especially presidential candidates, you should look at very. You should not be expecting to get a detailed picture of exactly <laughs> what their economic plans are. Right. They have a lot of reasons to speak in generalities, uh, to say a lot of things. Uh, some of which will appeal to different members of their party to kind of satisfy their demands. Um, and at the end of the day, it's also important to remember the president's final influence over the economy is is not as big as we think it is. Oh, I know. Uh, but we do kind of have this connection, like, well, the president should be, you know, great for the economy. Well, the president, you know, can have an agenda, can have a vision that they encourage and push on the legislature, but they they can't, you know, do a lot of the things they're suggesting right. just by their own force of power. Because they 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 may want to improve immigration. But they still have to create legislation, right? So, and that I guess is what we've seen historically has created the biggest problem is uh, for the last eight years, a Democrat trying to get a Republican Congress and Senate to do anything is difficult. Yeah, no, there's a lot of political gridlock right now. So unless you've run the table in terms of your party, there's a good chance that there's going to be major modifications to your agenda. Now, you taught me something interesting a while ago that um, – it's not I always worry about the deficit, the budget deficit, which I guess is how much is how much we are uh how much income how much less income we have to pay for the budget we're using. Does that yeah. make sense? So but you were teaching me last time the budget deficit isn't as big of a deal as maybe what we're doing with the budget deficit. Well, so so there are two things. So certainly certainly historically we've run a lot of budget deficits. Yeah. So there's not like this is a inherently bad thing that you know only in bad times have we done this for the last you know many decades we've typically run deficits like seventy percent we can have seventy percent of the the budget we actually have money coming in for yeah so so it's not it's uh so so yes along those lines I mean the, the key thing I think that to remember is there's a difference between how much we're short in any given year yeah. and how much debt we've accumulated okay. over time and so. In some sense, if we've not accumulated that much debt, at least relative to the size of our economy, then you might say, OK, it's fine to increase the debt a little bit. Or if the economy is growing very rapidly, then OK, you can afford to, to have a little bit more uh, – bigger deficits. Um, but certainly when it comes to how the government is spending its money, there's a lot of reasons to believe that the government could intervene and, and pay for things that no one is willing to pay for privately. Um, but the question is, are they doing it efficiently? Is it mm. going to the right places? And, and one of the big debates, I think, uh, in economics between these parties in the political sphere is that is the government or the people better suited at spending the money in the right places? Right. Uh, can the government know the right places or should we just let the people keep their money and then That's spend right. it so where I they want? Kind of lower the taxes, let people keep their money and then that will spur the economy and get it all excited but so that's kind of the Reagan economics model, right? Let the people spend their own money. Yeah, no, very much. I mean, the Republican model is say lower taxes, lower government spending. Let the markets determine. Let the people determine where the money should go. What's the most productive use? Um, whereas the Democrat position has been to say, well, we think there's an important, there are important things that people aren't just paying for. People aren't. Building new bridges, right. uh, people, infrastructure, uh, funding of uh, research and development is often difficult to fund privately in certain uh, certain fields. So there's a real sense in their minds of okay, 
that the government has a role to intervene and to do some more spending and, and particularly to try and spend to alleviate concerns of poverty and, and redistribute income from the very rich to those who are very poor mm. and try and balance the playing field. Right. Uh, and so for them, I think, especially for Democrats, the vision of having taxes be a little bit higher, especially on the wealthy, is perhaps not even as much about economics in terms of just growing the economy so much as let's try and make a more fair yeah. economy. Let's let's help people out. Is OK. So when we look at the candidates, because um, Hillary Clinton's husband was the first to have a to, to basically get rid of the budget deficit, wasn't he? I mean, in, in recent years, he certainly there were some years where uh, where President Bill Clinton was running surpluses, yeah, uh, and that was that was unusual, and we haven't really done that Those were since. A, that was a fat time. That was a fat time. He also yeah. had a Congress that were had a mandate to change things. Sure, and there was there was more cooperation. I think, yeah. So so certainly times were good in that period of his presidency. Tax revenues came in high. There weren't expansions in spending, and so we ran surpluses for a little bit that right. drew down the debt we had a little bit. Do we expect any of these two candidates to be uh, changing the budget deficit and or who who do we trust more, I guess, at this approach of um, taxes and you know lowering taxes or raising taxes? Who's got the best plan? This is really tough, uh, and it's it's tough in general to evaluate and these. Do they even have plans? <laughs> they, they say they do, uh, <laughs> and, and they've listed some kind of general visions. Uh, the tricky thing is you'll you'll get uh, some think tanks and uh, neutral organizations trying to assess and score these plans. Right. But but the key question. So for example, if you take. Uh, Donald Trump's plan, and you just look at the tax side, he's talking about major cuts in taxes for everyone, yeah. um, including for the very wealthy. And if you just cut taxes and don't do anything else, then you've got less income no and, revenue, and right. you're still spending the same amount. So the question is, so what are you going to cut in spending? He hasn't been very specific. Right. And so we don't know. And the other question is, how much will those tax cuts boost the economy? He would argue an awful lot, yeah, uh, but a, many a would lot. say we don't know. And so, so, so just – Running the accounting numbers, it looks like would be in trouble. But until we know what spending he's going to cut and how much growth this would, well, spur, and I guess whose whose taxes he's going to cut. I mean, if he's going to cut the rich versus the middle class or the the, I guess those that are struggling economically, that I guess matters too. Yeah, and and I think if you look closely at the types of things he's proposed, they would disproportionately benefit the more wealthy hmm. uh, individuals. Now, the typical argument is that well, if you we cut the their businesses, taxes, we've got the money, we'll create jobs. Yeah, yeah. but but that's not a given. Right. We, we don't have a great uh, set of evidence that says oh, if you just you know give more money back to the wealthy, then the jobs explode. Right, because we tried that. Right, Bush had tax cuts and. Jobs didn't explode, did they? Well, I mean, this is always the hard thing. So the, you're right. They've had these tax cuts, but how do we tell whether or not uh, they had the desired effect? Because in an economy as big as the U.S., there's so many things right, so happening many at once. You can't say, well, the only thing that changes these taxes, and this was the result. We don't we don't get to run lab experiments yeah. like chemists and right. But I guess Hillary's side is she she also, I'm assuming, wants to give tax cuts to the poor. So, so, so from Ms. Clinton's approach, it's it's larger 
On the tax side, it's more about keeping the status quo and then raising the taxes on wealthier mm-hmm. individuals. Now, her initiatives to help uh, individuals in poverty are going to come more through the, the government spending side. We're going to okay. increase funding for pre-K programs, for Head Start, try and make college more accessible. We're going minimum to wage. raise the minimum wage. Things like We're going to do these things as opposed to doing it on the tax hmm. front. But see, they've got to be – I'm assuming the people that make their money on money – are terrified because it, you have no idea what you're getting e- with either candidate, really. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a lot less uncertainty with Hillary Clinton because she's so ideologically close to President Obama yeah. that you can kind of expect. Okay, the trajectory we've seen for the last eight years is about what would expect to see with her. Right. So, so even though there's a whole bunch of things she has on the table, most people are expecting. She'll be a lot like him. If you look at the record of her husband, uh, when he was president, he tended to serve from a very kind of centrist, a moderate position. People expect mm-hmm. should do that. So people would expect if you elect Hillary, you'd get a lot Status of the same. Quo. Um, whereas with Donald Trump, you know, he says so many different things, so many different times. You don't know if he'll just kind of be a garden variety Republican in right. terms of his policies or if he will be as extreme as he sounds on immigration and trade, which are very – uh, atypical Republican positions. So talk to us then. So Donald's sitting here saying he's going to build a wall, which could cost us hundreds of billions of dollars, plus deporting those 11, 11 million illegals. What impact financially does that have? I mean, first, there's going to be the staggering cost yeah, of just of doing of these things. Um, so you have to hope there's a huge benefit if you think this is going to be an uh, economic plus. And, and, and an economic benefit, really. Yeah. Because you're going to be paying for this. Yeah. Now, he would argue that we won't pay for all of it, but we can, right. we can debate that. Right. But, but, uh, but I mean the, the issue with immigration is this is the key question is are the people who you're talking about deporting, the people who you're talking about restricting visas for, are these people – complementing our existing workforce or are they substituting hmm. for them? If you're taking jobs away because you do the same job and you push down wages because there's more people who do the same job, then you might be worried. But there are a lot of jobs that immigrants come in and do that we either have labor shortages yeah. and that can be for the very low skilled or the very high skilled. And so I think – I mean if you think about if you have in many cases just many Americans not interested in working or have the qualifications to work in certain fields – where we're bringing in uh, people from other countries, right. it's actually great to have these people come in and produce and make us more productive. And might do it and do it at a different wage than a citizen of the United States might do it. Certainly, at the lo- at the lower skill level, there's this yeah. there's this wage differential. At the higher skilled, there's probably not as much. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you think about the you know, especially in agriculture, they do have a lot of people who are coming in and working, and it's not because they don't want to pay locals. It's just People don't do that right. type of work. And so, so there's a lot of people who would be hurt immediately by losing large segments of their workforce. And in the long run, it could be very detrimental to us to have less innovation, less ideas, especially from higher skilled immigrants. Um, so it's an immigration policy with a major economic price tag. Yeah. No, and I, I think it'd be difficult. It takes a, a lot of twisting of the imagination to see how at the end of the day all these policies would result in – Economic benefit. Yeah. And we can argue on other dimensions if there are benefits to the country in other ways. But economically, it seems unlikely that would come out of this ahead. Ahead. Boy. Let's take a break. We're speaking with uh, Professor Christian Vom Lane right here from uh, Brigham Young University. 
He's a professor of economics and uh, an expert in macroeconomics and labor economics. He's talking to us about our presidential candidates and uh, their policies. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Joining us in the studio today is uh, BYU economics professor Christian Vom Lane. He is uh, an expert in macroeconomics and labor economics. He's here to walk us through our our two candidates, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, and their economic policies. Christian, thanks again for being with us. I'm again happy to be here. This uh, you hear also about TPP. And so maybe enlighten us about the Trans-Pacific Partnership because Hillary was so for it forever and is now kind of backing out of it. Uh, Donald Trump is against, I guess, the TPP, right? And all uh, NAFTA, he's going to go back and redo pretty much all of the old trade agreements of the United States because we're not getting a fair you know, trade deal with our partners. Yeah, there, there is a very strong anti-trade sentiment this election, uh, which is a little unusual, especially to come from the Republican nominee yeah. because Republicans historically are very pro-trade yeah. and free trade. And, uh, and even Clinton, again, herself, she was very much on board with TPP and this trade agreement. So, so I mean, I think the issue is that we certainly see that there's a lot of change in our economy. We see there's a, there's a large decline in manufacturing that's been ongoing for a long time, and that's been accelerated with China's rise uh, as an economic superpower and their rise in exporting, especially around the year 2000 when they kind of got a lot of access to world markets, joined the World Trade Organization. And so there are a lot of people who feels like, feel like their livelihoods are being taken away from them, and that's, that's very painful. Right. There's a lot of people who have seen minimal gains in wages for a long time, uh, several decades. And so I, I think there's this there, there's real channeling of this frustration of many that they're in, stuck in dead ends, that their careers are no yeah, longer promising. Their jobs, their jobs doesn't exist anymore. Don't exist anymore. And so the question is, then what do you do? Uh, and I, I think it's probably most economists would agree it'd be a mistake to try and resurrect the manufacturing industry as we knew it before. It's probably probably gone. And I think what you see is the government is mindful of this and we have a lot of programs that are trade assistance programs, mm-hmm. help people get retrained, help people find new work. Because at the end of the day, even though some people may be hurt by trade, trade's a great deal. Yeah. You, you get stuff for cheaper. You get right. more options. You have more competition. In general, it's not hard to believe that this is going to be a net positive, but for a lot of people, there's some short-run pain. Mm-hmm. And the question is, how do you deal with that short-run pain? How do you make sure they get a fair uh, cut of all the gains we're getting from but this But these trade? are markets. I mean, you can't – it seems like, you tell me, you can't be blowing up trade agreements that have existed for 20 years or threatening to blow them up without sending fear into the global market. I mean, certainly to – suggest dramatic changes in the trade agreements would certainly create a lot of uncertainty in financial markets. And even if, and if it was followed through on, you'd certainly get uh, a lot of international battles that would probably come back to hurt us. Yeah. You might save some jobs, but at the cost of losing a lot others. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think most economists would say, look, 
there needs to be appropriate measures to make sure people get uh, help when their jobs are being replaced or their skills are becoming obsolete. We should make sure these people don't suffer. But we shouldn't be curbing trade through massive tariffs or battles with China or other or Mexico or others uh, just to protect these jobs. We should help these people but allow trade to give us the benefits to everyone else. And there's economic costs to um, shutting the doors down and becoming a protectionist country. Like, I mean, the Brexit is costing Great Britain a lot of money. I mean, certainly their economic outlook is a lot worse than it was prior to Brexit. And and you look in history, you look in, in the Great Depression era, there was some, some bad trade and tariff decisions made in that period of time, which worsened the yeah. international condition then. So, so we have a lot of evidence to say that pulling back protectionist policy may help certain individuals in your economy, certain sectors, but as a whole, it's probably going to hurt you. Yeah. Donald, in fact, Donald just keeps alluding to how strong he's going to be, but he's, he, he really says, these are just negotiating tactics. This is just my way of putting people on their heels. I mean, that's his reputation as a businessman. businessman. He likes to use leverage and influence <laughs> and power to push people around to make yeah. sure he gets what he wants. And, and so you, there's a lot of talk and a lot of cheap talk. And so you don't know how much is you know blustering right. versus how much is I'm actually seriously considering this. But this isn't global. I mean, global politics they're a lot smoother. It seems like they their their maneuverings are. I mean, unless you're Iran and uh, North Korea, you're usually better at communicating instead of just blustering. It, it seems like it's a much more nuanced yeah. discussion uh, than than typically that Donald Trump would, would bring to the table. So so certainly. He would be volatile. He would uh, throw things off. Uh, and I think his supporters would say this is a good thing. We good. need to shake things up. We yeah. need to be different. His detractors would say, no, we don't want to make a mess. Of, you know, like this could make a big mess and we don't want to threaten relationships and, and harm the economy. And- don't mess. So, so trade is one. Another is regulation. And uh, many would say because of Obama and – the left leanings. There's a lot of overregulating. A lot of industries that can't make a money. Can't make money. The oil industry seems to have been overregulated out of out of their own jobs. Um, where do where do both of the candidates stand on regulation? Yeah. So on on that, so I think it's pretty easy to see where Clinton stands. She's very much saying we should be a lot more careful on. Banks. We should reevaluate. Maybe the financial sector, particularly, needs more attention to make sure we don't see excesses and risk taking like we saw in this recent Great right. Recession. On the on the Trump side, it's very clear we need to reevaluate every regulation and see which ones are, are hurting us and cut them and very stop the pace of regulation. And this is a classic issue where economists stand exactly in the middle. We we say. Overregulation is a big problem. You hear about horror stories of the occupational licensing issues. You mm. hear stories about a woman in Arkansas who wanted to braid hair and then was told she couldn't because she needed a cosmetology license, which she'd have to pay thousands of dollars and fill out hundreds of pages of paperwork and attend hours of cosmetology right. school to do. Yeah. I mean, that seems like perhaps protection and regulation we don't need uh, in the hairdressing industry. That, that's an extreme example, but in general, there's a real vibe that. There are definitely some regulations which are crimping people's incentives to start small businesses, which are limiting uh, a lot of aspects of the economy. But on the other hand, you see a lot of risk-taking and behavior of banks in the recent crisis and you say, 
you know, maybe we do need to make sure people don't take risks that benefit them privately but hurt the economy globally. Do you, do you sense um, – are there bubbles in the economy now that you think are going to have to burst? Uh, that will be – because whoever the next president is might have some corrections happening. I mean hindsight is twenty twenty. I don't know that we've ever – collectively uh, successfully predicted a bubble. There's always bubble warnings and then sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. I don't think there's anything right now that stands us to stands out to us as, wow, this is a big concern. Yeah. You hear student loans and student debt thrown around and kind of the university system as being something that might be prone to this type of uh, overinflation of value like a bubble. But hmm. it's, you don't know. it's hard to call these things. And I think, you know, you know the old joke uh, about economists is that, uh, that especially when they rely on looking at the stock market, they've correctly predicted nine of the last five recessions. It's the stock market and these things are so volatile; right. it's, it's easy to overread into them. What about uh, the propping up of the dollar and the you know the adjustments of the dollar? Is the do- I mean, is it have we propped ourselves up so much that as as a country we're dependent on the propping up now? Yeah, well, so so there's this interesting question of. Of monetary policy because we've got a fairly uh, accommodative monetary policy. We've pushed interest rates really low to try and right. – I mean and if, if no one else was doing anything in the world, if they were kind of status quo, would think, wow, this would definitely uh, weaken the currency a bit and give us some exporting advantage. But the rest of the world is hurting so bad that they're taking even more aggressive measures than we are yeah. on their currencies. And so that's making us actually quite a bit stronger just because we're not nearly as aggressive. So, so at this point – there's a, there's a real open question of what's the right for, path forward because we're actually in a very kind of accommodative, yeah, good position, for easy money uh, position monetarily, but we're in the least easy money position of much of the developed world. Yeah. So, so if we cut the easy money, then we're going to even further uh, draw a distance between us and the rest of the world. Do because I look at it, how much do these people even know? I mean, obviously they're going to have teams that will come in and advise them, but. I mean, is it not just a shot in the dark, really? Because what do we know? I mean, I mean, there's certainly a whole lot of gray area around economics and macroeconomics right. in particular. There's a lot we don't know. It's a hard thing to think about a big economy. Uh, so, so yeah, I think our hope is that the presidential candidates will lean heavily on their teams and lean heavily on whoever they would appoint to the Council of Economic Advisors. And, and so there's some value in seeing who is advising the candidates. Who are they getting support from? And that's one uh, one dimension where Hillary Clinton has done much better than yeah. Donald Trump. She's got a lot more support from mainstream uh, practiced economists. In fact, it's Donald Trump has had a hard time even getting support of past Republican economists <laughs> who have served in previous administrations. They've been very concerned about some of this bluster and the volatile nature of things as well as they just don't like some of his policies. So she seems to be uh, – she, she's very much the status quo then. Basically, so if you are so it, when it comes to our own grocery bills, status quo, Hillary Clinton, you'd pretty much expect more of the same. Yeah, I mean, the I, last eight years, we know more or less what we're probably going to get if she's elected president. With with Donald Trump, if you want an exciting ride and not know where it's going, I'm, it's possible there's a great outcome from yeah. you know the the upheaval, or it's possible. I mean, it's possible that he just disconnects and we actually get just status quo. He puts other people in charge of the day-to-day stuff and, and 
and his his influence is, yeah. is minimized. Is there anything we can just do pu- privately as a dad with my family, my kids? What advice would you give us on our own economics, our own economic policies as we are kind of entering into this uh, crazy world of political candidates? I mean, I think the same rules for personal finance have always applied. <laughs> Be conservative in your spending. Uh, save appropriately. And it's a tough climate to be saving in right now, but yeah. don't fall for get-rich-quick schemes. You see sometimes this comes up where mm, interest rates are so low. Wouldn't you love to test out this special investment that I have? Beware of that. Those tend to not work out. Um, so be conservative. Uh, don't be over-aggressive in, in spending. Not that you should pull back yeah. your spending yeah. altogether and panic, but just be prudent. I think that's the same steady counsel. Invest a little bit of money and let it grow with you know what interest there is over time. Do you just roll your eyes every time you hear these candidates speaking? Like, Do you ever think, good grief, you can't say that? Uh, certainly, uh, I think it's fair to say that it's – a unusual election when you have so heavily disliked candidates. It's amazing. And, uh, it's, very, it's very hard to see yourself in either of them at times. Uh, now you can find things about each platform to like. And the question, the question for most people is, who do I uh, least dislike? <laughs> and, that's, and that's kind of <laughs> that's frustrating. True. And who's, you know, who's, who's going to live? Because with Hillary, you uh, don't know. I mean, they are they are both not spring chickens uh, <laughs> pushing 70. So unbelievable. Well, Christian Vomlane, we appreciate you. Thanks for your insight. Thank you. Great, great insight. Again, Christian is an assistant professor of economics here at BYU and uh, received his Ph.D. in economics from Princeton. He knows what he's talking about. We'll take a break. Come back. Continue the discussion. Wrap up this first hour of the show. We'll be right back. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, you got to watch out with the candidates because you may have a pet peeve, right? You may hate government intervention, and you may really, truly dislike uh, the the press and their their you know grasp and. Their full Nelson hold that they've got uh, around certain candidates. But in the end, be careful because having a pet peeve uh, political positions, one that you just automatically jump on, means you may be missing the whole picture. And, uh, you know, again, these are big issues. These don't go away by simply electing one person as your president because – there's going to be certain parts, for example, they might say they're going to create a job, but we talk about how Donald Trump has actually created jobs, except for Hillary Clinton has been in the government and created a lot of jobs in the government recently um, while they were bailing out economies, right? So is, is, is what you want from your president a job creator or is what you want somebody that's big on trade? And we know Hillary wasn't big on trade agreements because some of the worst agreements were signed by Hillary Clinton. And yet Donald Trump, he's against certain trade agreements. So it's one thing to just sit and be mad about a position of your candidate. It's another thing for that candidate to get in and actually create legislation. We got to be looking for whole candidates here that can do the whole job the tax job, the job creation job, the trade job, the immigration job, the minimum wage job, the regulation job, 
Um, don't get caught up and don't just be position oriented on these things because I, I believe and feel strongly that we're going to never have one person that does it all, really. Um, there's not one candidate that can basically take care of all of your, all of your needs. There's, that's why you have representation. That's why you have other representatives that, uh, that can help you out as well. So watch your pet peeves. Watch your personal positions, that, that one position that you're going to base your entire election on. Because in the end, you may pick one up, won't pick up one part of the problem, but you're also going to pick up the consequences of uh, everything else that might take place with those candidates. So watch out. Make sure you're informed. Make sure you understand economics is more than just money. It's a lot of other policies. We'll take a break. Continue the discussion next hour. We'll be talking about uh, the barbershop. It's on the way out, folks. Hold your hair. It's on the way out. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number two of the program. Have we got a great show for you this hour. Holy cow. If you uh, are a guy that goes to the barbershop, hold your boots. You may be losing the barbershop. They may, be, they may be disappearing. A piece of Americana. A place where you can go, just like Floyd in Mayberry. A place you could go and just hang out and talk. One just moved into my neighborhood. Really? But they're going for a old-timey sort of, you know, throwback to yesteryear yeah. and that sort of nostalgia. And that's usually mm. expensive, so I'm not sure if I'm going Yeah, over. you need the good old barber, that $5 haircut, whatever just, it is today. Yeah. I did go to a place once. They, you know, they had the the hot towels, mm-hmm. the cream. They gave you a shave. It was yeah, nice. That's a lot of touching. But it felt really like you were getting pampered, but in a you know in a guy sort of way. In a guy sort of way. Yeah. So you wouldn't go to a you wouldn't go to a beauty. No. What do they call them? A stylist yeah. to to have them wash your hair. Like they always ask if they, if I want my hair washed, and I'm like, I, I can wash my hair. I don't do that because my whenever they uh, they they push your neck back, yeah, and I walk out with a like a pinch nerves yeah. and stuff. I'm like, oh, my neck hurts because yeah. they're just, they've got those special they've got those special sinks. Yeah, it's just too far. So I tell them I don't want that. I don't want this. Just give me a haircut. And they're all like, oh, oh, okay. You don't want any Whoa, of our free services, you, Mister Hottie Dottie. Just a haircut, thank you. <laughs> I prefer to not be touched as much as you're all touching. Well, me. there's that too. But they it want, does feel great. They want to massage your scalp. And they just cut my hair. I need mm. to get a haircut. It'll take five minutes if you actually just cut the hair. Just get on the hair, yo. So we'll be speaking with a, um, an academic that's been studying the decline of the male barbershop. Now, it's true, though, because what that means. there is no place for a man in my neighborhood to get his haircut. Now, now there's a barbershop. There yeah. wasn't before. And so you'd have to go to one of these sort of strip mall yeah, fast food sort of. Well, now they have places. the one. They have the one where they everything sports. So when you're watching, yeah. they, getting a your bunch haircut, of flat screen TVs it's all about sports. Except there's baseball on every time you go in the afternoon. Yeah. I don't want to watch baseball. 
Would you ever let somebody shave you with the straight edge? Oh, yeah. Uh, really? I had a guy do that. It was good. Yeah. I really want to just because I need a close shave. Well, but... I, not a shave. They, they do like the back of your neck and yeah. around the your, your sideburns and things. So I'm talking like on your back, no, no, neck no, 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 no. No fully full exposed. No. That just seems like bad What's well, evolution. You don't ever show your neck to someone with a blade. Yeah. Just that'll get you killed. You got to protect the soft underbelly. Understand? <laughs> <laughs> even if even if the guy is good, yeah. But they would do that though. You pay extra, get a little close shave. People like that. Oh. So we'll be talking about that. And again, there's a social side to this whole thing because that's where you'd get your information. You go to Floyd's, uh, and you just sit there in the chair, and you'd find out everything that's going on with Andy and Barney. Yeah. Or, or people just stop in, sit down, and talk for 20 minutes and then move on. Then there's the one random guy that's there all the time just reading his newspaper, not getting a haircut. Cooter. They have a free paper there. That was Cooter. Cooter was, you know, then you'd find out when Cooter's going to have a cell on tires. And the Duke Go boys would come into town. And... Those were the good days. <laughs> good old days. So we'll be talking barbers uh, in a bit from, by the way, Kristen Barber. That's her name? That's her name. Nice. It's kind think... of ironic. Wow. I didn't yeah. even see that. No, pretty cool. Um, plus, m- more about Hillary Clinton. She's apparently got pneumonia. Mm. Many, depending Not on Not you... only her. What? It might be a campaign issue. What do you mean? I have a story. We'll talk about it coming up. But is she following doctor's orders? We'll get into that. It doesn't seem like she is. She's not a very good, she's not a very good sick person. Are we all? Are any of us really a good sick person? Oh, I am. My doctor told me to just get sleep. I'd go get sleep. Hmm. Just get off my back. Doctor's orders. And then doctor said it. Sorry. Bonbons and watching The View. So we'll get to that plus uh, <laughs> plus crazy story of people painting birds. What's up with that? I don't know. Spray painting birds. Like painting birds on a canvas? No, like painting canvas on a bird. Like real birds. Like using a bird as a canvas. Hmm. Crazy. What Florida? Come on. We'll get to that. But uh, first, let's get to Caitlin Thomas with the headlines. Caitlin, what's up? Thanks, Matt. Hillary Clinton's campaign is scrambling to head off lasting damage from her brutal weekend, with aides promising to release more of her medical records following her bout of pneumonia and conceding they were too slow in providing information about her condition. In retrospect, they said we could have handled it better. Clinton spokesman Brian Fallon said on Monday he pledged to release additional medical information about Clinton within the next few days. On Saturday, Iran threatened to shoot down two U.S. Navy surveillance aircraft flying near Iranian territory, three U.S. defense officials told Fox News on Monday. Officials say the planes were flying 13 miles off the coast of Iran. Iran's territorial waters extend 12 miles into the sea. One official told Fox News the aircraft ignored the warning, remaining in international airspace but near Iranian territory because we wanted to test the Iranian reaction. President Obama will veto the bill that would allow 9-11 victims and their families to sue countries like Saudi Arabia for any role they may have played in the deadly terror attacks. The president has previously expressed skepticism about the legislation, saying it would unnecessarily harm relations with the Saudis. But the bill passed both the Senate in May and the House on Friday. White House Press Secretary John Ernest confirmed that the president will veto the legislation. 
And lastly, two men were arrested Monday night in Los Angeles after attacking disgraced Olympic swimmer Ryan Lochte on stage during the live broadcast of ABC's Dancing with the Stars. The two audience members were charged with trespassing after they stormed the stage and threw something at Lochte before the show's security personnel rushed in. They said, we want to publicize that this is a bad decision to have a liar be publicized as a star. Yeah. There you have it. Holy cow. Thanks, Caitlin. You're Man, welcome. Lochte just can't get enough. He just gets in trouble everywhere he goes now. Hmm. He just is trying to dance. Just let me dance. <sighs> Hillary Clinton. She's she's just not paying attention to the doctor's advice like she needs to. In fact, uh, here's a clip. She was on CNN last night. Yep. Getting to a what number was that? Again? Six. Sorry. Six. Feeling so much better. And I'm feeling so much better. And obviously, I should have gotten some rest sooner. I probably would have been better off if I just pulled down my schedule on Friday. But. Uh, Like a lot of people, I just thought I could uh, keep going forward and power through it. And obviously that didn't work out so well. (coughs) Excuse me. Oh, what? The phone call continues. (coughs) She's. She's... (coughs) This this now makes sense because what she was coughing up was pneumonia. So diagnosed with pneumonia on Friday. She decided to just sort of push through her her schedule. But she didn't follow doctor's advice. No. And I could... uh, you know, feel how hot and humid it was. I felt overheated. I decided that I did need to leave. And as soon as I got into the air-conditioned van, I cooled off, I got some water, and very quickly uh, I felt better. So I felt fine, uh, but uh, I'm now taking my doctor's advice, which was given to me on Friday that I ignored, uh, to just take uh, some time to uh, get over pneumonia completely. Hmm. So Hillary Clinton reportedly isn't the only one in her campaign who has been feeling under the weather recently. A person from the campaign told People that everyone has been sick. That's a quote. Wow. At the headquarters in Brooklyn, the individual who spoke anonymously with People explained that at the end of August, at least six senior staffers allegedly fell ill, including campaign manager Robbie Mook. Another advisor was at the Brooklyn Urgent Care Center for a respiratory infection just days ahead of Clinton's own diagnosis of pneumonia, which happened on Friday. Yet another advisor was rushed to the ER after collapsing from severe dehydration. Wow. So it's in the air. And then they all go get in that black van yeah. just spread the germs. Well, it's not in the water because she's not drinking any. That's right? the point. She, what she needs is an IV. I'm just, telling you, just nothing, plug her in. nothing brings back life more than a good IV. <laughs> she just – she can't win, right? So – because if she's sick, she looks sickly. If she's healthy, you can see they're the, claiming she's sick. You can see the thinking. She's like, I, I, this is pneumonia, which is not really that pneumonia, big a deal. Pneumonia. I'll take some medicine. We'll just power through. And then yeah. it got the best of her. And then the message got out of hand. And she could have said, what would have happened if she would have said on Friday, I have pneumonia? Okay, guys, I'm fighting pneumonia. Everyone would see, ah, weak, weak. I think I don't know if that would have helped her or well, hurt her there anymore. You any just more can't go all you know, Jello legs like she did. Because once you do that, that was weekend of Bernie's. Yes, <laughs> you're dragging a dead guy around. You at can't that point. talk your way out of something you Jello legged your way into. <laughs> I think that's a quote from Gandhi. Wow, you got to watch out for those. 
crazy. I did like how the security like closed ranks right around her when she collapsed. That was was amazing. Well, and you knew it was a bad moment because she had to wait for her car. I guess that's against protocol. The candidates yeah, should never have to wait for their car. They That's moved just before the car was ready, and you're not supposed. Yeah. Well, and they had her propped up with some two by fours on that <laughs> that <laughs> cement pillar. There is the idea she was also probably wearing some sort of vest. Oh yeah, under under her probably. her jacket, so sure. that would have made it warmer for her. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think it's that everyone. It's something. There's this is just she's sick. Yeah. She's got something wrong, and. You know, you can't say what it is. Think about that. Would you want your private medical records? I was at the doctor yesterday. I'm like, would I want everyone in the world to know about this list of all of my priors? I was reading this morning, John McCain, when he ran, he flew a bunch, they, they flew a bunch of media down to Arizona and they looked at 1,100 pages of his medical records because of wow. his, his age. It was an yeah. issue. So he laid out everything he had and they looked at it. Well, even the mere fact you have 1,100 pages. And they went and looked and they went, wow, you're old. And he went, yeah. Yeah. That was what they found out. I do have some new pictures of my um, my upper GI. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. From my throat to my stomach, if anyone wants to see them. Are you going to put them on the website? Yeah. You should. You should put them on the Instagram. We ought to do that. We'd probably yeah. get a lot of – my kids were pretty grossed out by it. Yeah, yeah. It really just looked like uh, a pocket of pink. Yeah, it's kind of gross. That meat product that they we've been marketing on the our – Pink slime. Pink slime. <laughs> like Balabnia. That's what it looked like. Hey, uh, crazy thing out of Florida. Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission are asking the public to stop painting birds, mm. specifically the white ibis. The bird is protected in the state of Florida, and painting them is not only illegal, it's cruel and can cause serious damage to the white ibis. Last July, the FWC had to remind Florida residents also to stop painting tortoises and turtles. What is the deal? Why do do we need to ask people not to do this? They're vandalizing animals. Yeah. The white and orange ibis pictured – oh, it's pictured above. Oh, yeah. For those of you that are – Watching the show. Sorry, that didn't get edited. Uh, out. Was taken to Bush Wildlife Sanctuary, and it's expected to recover. But should that should that bird really need to? No, because how do you get paint out of feathers? That's the hard part. Yeah, I'm imagining there's some sort of turpentine chemical sort of mix oh, that you dip then the animal just in to clean it the out. Poor white ibis. Yeah, and do they not have their own? Uh, do they not like have? A mind where they can just say, I'm just going to go paint on the wall instead of the bird. Like, I don't know. Just go paint on the wall hmm. like every other kid does. These are teens, I bet. Think so? Yeah. Little beetles for you. Free as a bird. Hmm. This bird's not so free, though, if you're getting painted on. Can they still fly if they're painted? I don't think so. I think it grounds them. I didn't mm-hmm. know the Beatles dedicated. They, they dedicated that was, a song. That's to what the song a, was all about, actually. The free as a bird. These birds that are getting painted on. We've talked about. Uh, there was a guy that punched a swan in Florida as well. Yep. You guys leave the birds alone. It's up with Florida. There's got to be a. It's just man. I, I we have a hard time catching birds in our area. <laughs> I don't know. Why way. are you trying to catch them? Fun, just fun. Okay. Were you training like Rocky? Mm -hmm. Wasn't he trying to catch a bird or a chicken? Yeah. 
If you can catch a chicken, chickens are a little easier to catch than some of the birds. I've They're been a little chasing. more grounded. Yeah. Yeah. Just jump. Anyway, uh, great stuff. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, styling masculinity. Goodbye to the barbershop, folks. Goodbye. Say goodbye. Stick with us. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsors. Paint. It's everywhere. We use it to decorate our homes, do arts and crafts. And unfortunately, some people even use it to tag freeway walls and signs. Now many Florida residents are participating in a new and dangerous pastime. They're applying paint to poor defenseless animals, such as turtles and birds. These paints are harmful to the animal's skin and fur and contain toxic chemicals, which are bad for the environment. This cruel and inhumane treatment of animals must stop. That's why from now on, when I paint my turtles and birds, I'll be using Wilson Stevens paint. Wilson Stevens is made of all natural ingredients, which means it's safer for the environment and safer for the animals. How do they know it's safer? Each new batch is tested on pigeons to make sure it's up to par. They also offer miniature animal masks for added safety for them and plastic ponchos for added cleanliness for you. And why not try their new stencils for fun and eye-catching patterns? Cleanup is easy. Other paints take months to fade from these poor creatures, while Wilson Stevens paint fades within weeks. And it's great for other applications, too, like painting your house and doing arts and crafts. I don't always paint my animals, but when I do, I prefer Wilson Stevens. Where is the good in good Wow. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. So if the barbershops are going away, where are you going to get your barbershop music? That's crazy. Uh, You know, rodeos, cafes, baseball are all forms of American culture that hold their appeal over time. But the all-male barbershop is one piece of Americana that is on the decline here to talk to us about uh, why barbershops are disappearing and what's replacing them is Dr. Uh, Kristen Barber. She uh, received her Ph.D. from USC. She's a professor at Southern Illinois University, and her research and teaching focus is on issues of gender and social inequality. Dr. Kristen Barber, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. How appropriate your last name with the topic. <laughs> Yes, you know, um, this is actually something I didn't notice until someone else pointed out, <laughs> it out. They started laughing hysterically, and I had to wait for them to be done before. Oh, that is they so explained. rude. Yeah, These people right. are so rude. You also wrote the book, Styling Masculinity, Gender, Class, and Inequality in Men's Grooming Industry. Um, talk to us about what you're finding out. I guess barberships, or barbershops seem to be on the decline, um, but where are they going? Where are yeah. men going? Yes, it's you know it's so interesting. You know, my my research really focuses on men's salons, but what I do is I, I unpack what we know about barber shops in order to make the case for um, men's salons. Um, you know, barber shops um, have been an important American institution. It's uh, a place where men have gone to congregate to create community. Um, you know, important relationships with one another. Maybe just to get out of the house or play a game of chess. Um, and the U.S. Census actually tracks barbershops as um, establishments um, or businesses. Huh. 
And we can see that since 1992, barbershops have declined 23%, which is huge. Yeah. It's huge. Um, Where are they going? I mean, I guess it's these barbers are probably getting older and maybe retiring and just not being replaced. Yes, absolutely. So I I, I trace the... um, the um, sort of um, falling away of barbershops to both economic and sociocultural shifts. So first of all, you know, these barbershops are really disappearing in mostly white middle and upper middle class neighborhoods um, where men tend to have um, younger men are interested in, in uh, stylish haircuts and, and um, are becoming more interested in an array of services like manicures um, or facials, things that barbershops no longer offer. Um, and then also um, middle-aged white men in particular uh, really want to go to a place where they feel like they can shore up their appearances in a way where they can uh, compete in the workforce. And they feel like the barbershop offers them is sort of a one-trick pony and only offers them a particular haircut, a, a I, I, I don't know, a, a two on the side and a four on the top. <laughs> um, and, and so they feel like they can get more, more style and, and more personalized haircuts at hair salons that um, are appropriate for them. And in and, and, uh, one of the books you cite in your article is was from TV host Melissa Harris-Perry, who talks about barbershops in the African-American community, in the black communities. They're still they, – they're thriving. They still create a major part of community. That's right. That's right. So when we talk about, you know, how barbershops are sort of disappearing, it is important to ask where, where this is happening. It's not happening in all communities. And so the barbershop remains a very important um, institution in black communities. And, um, you know, for all the nostalgia around barbershops, um, there is very little research on it. And that that does exist is on black barbershops. And they really, scholars are really interested in how black barbershops um, serve a a key role in the community. So barbers are often mentors um, to young men in the community. They might give loans out um, to young men trying to start their own businesses. Um, and they're places where um, young boys come with their fathers and become sort of socialized into into manhood. Um, and they're also places, and I think this is key and helps us understand why they are still in black neighborhoods, is that they're places for the engagement in racial politics. So they're places where black men can talk about, um, you know, uh, racial politics in, the, uh, in their communities and in the United States at large. And... Um, and so they become very important community resources where they can create friendships with one, with one another, but also create a sense of um, community in their um, in their neighborhoods. That is, it all it makes me nostalgic thinking how much you may be losing. I remember going to the barber where you could get a haircut for a buck, and then eventually got up to five bucks, and it was, but it was it was still a bunch of barbers, but there was there was a sense of community. Um, how powerful for the black community. Yes, yes. And so I, I, you know, as I talk to people about the, um, uh, the hair salon, you know, um, they're really interested in, does this mean we're losing something in, in other communities, in, in white, well-to-do areas? Are we losing something that's important um, to, to men, especially in, in a society where men might not be encouraged otherwise to create intimate relationships with one another? There's sort of a, a stigma around um, men creating intimate relationships, and we have this idea that men, um, you know, don't get as emotionally attached, or that we encourage men to suppress sort of emotive expression. Um, and and so, um, uh, one uh, scholar who studies men's relationships says that men really tend to form 
side-by-side relationships where they'll do things together, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're creating intimate, confidential relationships Mm. with each other. And so the barbershop has served as one place men tend to do this. And it was men on men, uh, historically, Mm -hmm. I guess, right? The barber was typically a male. Yes, yes. And, And that is changing as well. Um, you know, more women are becoming um, barbers yeah. um, and opening up their own barber shops. And so this, you know, this dynamic, um, uh, you know, gender relations in the barber shop uh, are changing. They're shifting. Do, do, do you notice a difference between how much a man opens up to a man versus a female barber? Yes. You know, in, in my research, you know, I'm looking at um, men's hair salon shops. Um, but the uh, there are women barbers in these right. um, places, as well as hairstylists. Um, and, and the men uh, talk a, a lot about how important it is for um, for them to build close, intimate relationships with these barbers. It's a it really is an interesting thing because I think of the personal level of the relationship where they're clipping your nose hairs there yes. there and now i mean back in the day i don't ever remember going to a barber where they were willing to wash your hair but i'm sure they would have um but they will clip your nose hair yes yes you know as i spent time in men's salons it was funny because i would see men sitting in these chairs after their haircut and they would have you know sticks of wax sticking out of their nose and their ears <laughs> waiting for them to dry so the stylist or the barber could yank it yank it out of their nose and uh, and the, the women that I spoke to who work in these places talk a lot about how important their role is. They, they say, you know, people often think of us as just hairstylists or just barbers, but we play an important role in these men's lives, and we create, you know, we, we act as confidants. Sometimes we act as therapists right. to men who might not feel like they can go elsewhere. Um, sort of they, they say they're underpaid therapists, um, cheap therapists. Um, um, but also they provide intimate touch, right? That they feel like people need touch. And if we live in a culture where men are stigmatized for for touching each other and they're maybe not allowed to have intimate touch with anybody outside of their marriage, um, that they can come to the salon and they can be touched. They can have, you know, a woman in particular shampoo their hair you know, dig their nails into their scalp, ruffle, you know, ruffle their hands through their hair while they're blow drying it. You know, they get um, uh, scalp massages at these high-end hair salons. Mm. Um, uh, their face gets touched. Sometimes they get a shoulder massage. And so these are important places um, where, you know, men are getting a sense of human connection. And this is a way that hairstylists and, and barbers who work with men um, at these high-end places Make sense of and give job satisf- uh, get job satisfaction out of the work they do. Well, and that's that's like the high end, uh, you know, places. It sounds like. But what about just the average kind of corporatization of barbering, where you're kind of in and out for your eleven dollar haircut, and you might not be getting all the benefits of the touch and the intimate touch, but you're getting more just you're just on a conveyor belt. Yes, yes, exactly. Places like Supercuts or Great Clips, Sports Clips. Um, I've actually tried to um, research these places, and I've had a a difficult time um, accessing them. Um, But when I talk to stylists who work in these places, what's so interesting is there really is an emphasis on turning the customer around quickly. So they don't charge as much per customer, but they want to 
see more, mm. right, um, to sort of make up um, for the, the money that they're not getting by charging the amount that they might charge at a high-end um, hair salon. And so um, they actually operate by corporate rules to get men in and out of their chairs in maybe four to six minutes. And so you end up spraying men's hair down instead of giving them, you know, shampoo. I think you can buy a shampoo at some of these places. It costs you a little more. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, really, um, these high-end salons, um, by, by charging more, um, they're not offering these sorts of experiences to a lot of men who are sort of priced out of that market. And let alone the sense of community, because, you know, you feel like you're a number. Let's just get out of here. Yes, yes. And, you know, I understand some people want that. Some right. people are just sort of in next. for a quick haircut. <laughs> yeah, next. They, you know, they don't necessarily want to talk to their stylist. Um, but the, the men in my study are really, um, they're interested in a really stylish haircut, um, but they become really attached to their stylist or their barber as well. Um, these are people they see every six to eight weeks and sometimes for 12 to 14 years. Mm. Um, and most of the time they become attached to a stylist rather than a salon, which I think is interesting. And they might follow the stylist from salon to salon as she jumps around um, or he jumps around, although there aren't as many um, men in my study. Um, and so they become attached to um, these stylists. And on one hand, you know, the men are really getting something important, right? They're getting a, a sense of relationship, um, a sense of closeness that they might not get elsewhere. Um, but this, is, uh, this may or may not be the case for the women who work in these places. Some of them create relationships and friendships with their um, clients, but others understand that this is just part of the job. Caring for your customer is part of what's expected um, when somebody sits down in your chair. You bet. We're speaking with Dr. Kristen Barber, uh, who is a professor at Southern Illinois University and author of the book Styling Masculinity, Gender, Class, and Inequality in the Men's Grooming Industry. We will take a break, come back, and continue discussing her Conversation.com article, Goodbye to the Barbershop. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. friends a little homer simpson for you the barbershop you know once the barbershop goes then the barbershop music's going to go man what's happening to this country joining us uh discussing an article she wrote in the conversation.com is dr Kristen barber Kristen is a professor at southern illinois university and her research and teaching focuses on issues of gender and social inequality she's the author of the book styling masculinity gender class and inequality in men's grooming industry thank you so much Kristen, for being with us thank you so are we losing when we say we're losing the barber shop uh are we losing that, especially, I guess, in the white community is what we were talking about, middle class, white, uh, middle to upper class white community. A lot of them are going more to stylists. Are they getting the same experience out of a stylist that they do a barber historically? You know, they're not. Um, these are places, you know, so what's so important to understand about these sort of high-end men's salons is that they want to take the nostalgia from the barber shop and build it into men's experiences. So they do consider themselves sort of sex segregated or what sociologists refer to as homosocial. 
spaces. Um, so that they take from the barber shop. Um, but most of their employees are not men, um, and uh, they're, they're often women, women um, cosmetologists and women barbers. And so it doesn't create the same sort of um, uh, sex-segregated community. Um, but what I argue in my book is that that's not always a bad thing. Sex-segregated spaces are really important for men to build relationships with other men, but they can be problematic as well. Mm. Research on fraternities, for example, um, you know, show that there's a lot of um, uh, misogyny and homophobia that circulates in these places. And so, um, and so these sorts of um, hair salons sort of break away um, from that as well. Um, so they try to take that sort of sex-segregated aspect of the barbershop, and they sell that to men as part of the nostalgia, right? They're like, okay, we are new places. We're salons, but you don't have to be afraid of going to the salon because we're similar to the barbershop in that only men come here. Interesting. Because I, I look at it, I my parents were divorced, so my mom would give me the $5 and tell me to walk up to the barbershop, and I would sit there, and there were nine men and one woman, barber, female barber, and but I would, it really was an experiment in life to hear what was being talked about, and um, it's funny, because then I walk into these other places, uh, Sports Cut, whatever place, franchise, or Bikini Cuts, for heaven's sakes, and I don't seem to relate there either. It's I felt like I didn't know where I fit in. Yes, yes. That, I mean, that that is a problem. You know, not all men feel comfortable in these, these salons, um, and so... I talk a lot of, in my book about the ways in which the salons try to make these places comfortable for men. Um, so, for instance, instead of calling it a hair salon, they might call it a men's grooming environment. Hmm. Uh, right? So there's, yeah. there's sort of a, a recoding of the salon to, to try to entice men into these places. Um, and they provide beer, um, but they don't provide Bud Light. You know, they provide Heineken or Guinness or imported <laughs> big beers, right? Wow. These are yeah. high-end spaces. Um, and, and they have, you know, men's magazines. Um, they have, um, you know, bar snacks. They have televisions for men. Um, but but it, is, it is a completely different environment, um, and you have to be seeking something different than, than men who go to the barbershop seek. You have to be seeking... Um, a personalized haircut. Um, you have to not be attached to that idea of um, a homosocial community. Um, and they also, you know, these salons really rely on the women who work there to make these comfortable places for men. The women uh, do a lot of education. They educate men right. on, on what a quote-unquote, you know, stylish haircut looks yeah. like. Um, on the benefits of a scissor cut versus a clipper cut, which you might get at a barber shop. Um, and they educate men on how to apply product, how to talk about their hair. Um, and they try to really make these men comfortable. And in some of the more colorful examples that I heard, um, one stylist told me that she had um, a, a client come in for the first time and she had him change into his smock. And when he came out of the back room, he was wearing only his smock, <laughs> um, right, as if it, as, as if it was a, a, a robe at the doctor's right? office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she had to, you know, she had to tell him, okay, you know, you can wear your other clothes and please, and please do. <laughs> <laughs> How um, funny is that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it is. It's so foreign, it seems like, for so many of us. Yes, yes. And, you know, I think women sort of take these places for granted. You, you grow up in hair salons and, you, you know, you understand how to move around the space, how you're supposed to engage with hairstylists. 
you know, what topics are on the table and how to use hair products. And so there's a lot of work that the women at these salons do to make men comfortable in the places. Um, and so I focus a lot of on my book on the education or re-education of men and the recoding of these salons so that, the, you know, uh, calling manicures hand detailing. Um, wow. Right, as if they're working on a car. Right. Um, uh, uh, You know, and they do a lot of, you know, they talk men into manicures as as a way to, you know, compete in a white-collar workplace um, or as something that women, right, um, women might want to see. A romantic partner is not going to want, you know, you to have ugly toes and nails. Um, And so they do a lot of work making sense of these sorts of services for men in a way that they hope is palatable to them. When did that take over? When did manis and petties become and waxing become more, uh, I guess, gender neutral? Yes. You know, barbers actually used to offer manicures. Um, they used to have manicurists um, on site, and so men could go in for their haircut huh. and their, you know, straight razor shave and a manicure. But those sorts of services fell away, um, and we really c- came to associate them culturally with women instead. Right. Um, and so it is just recently that these hair salons are, are saying, okay, well, this is something men can and should part, you know, partake in as, as well. Um, but the important thing is, is that they feel like they need to really redefine these services and these products as for men only so that, they, so that men feel like they're doing something different from their wives hmm. or their girlfriends when they come into these places and they get a manicure. They're not getting a manicure like their wives. They're getting hand details. Yeah. <laughs> Right. We're detailing your hands. Yes, yes, and it's for work, right? Instead of right to to look good, it's not to show off, right? To people, I'm not getting you know um, uh, acrylic nails by any means. It's interesting because I guess back in the day, barbers used to pull your teeth, and they were, they probably were the only ones that had nail clippers. You know, way back in the day, I guess they had all the instruments, so they would take care of it all. You just would go in and like a car and get a tune up. Yes, yes, and barbers were surgeons, right? That's right. where the, the, the red um, came from on That's the barber right. poles from bloody rags. And so, you know, barbers have a really long, really interesting um, history in the United States. Um, and, and it is important to understand that they aren't, you know, um, they, they aren't completely falling away, but there is a, a sort of move in, in white, middle, and upper middle class um, communities towards um, salons, especially in an economy where white-collar workers might feel like they're replaceable and where, you know, um, aesthetics or, you know, your appearance is attached to, you know, professional uh, competence. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, in the very word like metrosexual kind of grooming and attention to grooming, that seems like a relatively new idea. It is. It is. It actually um, was coined by Mark Simpson, who's a um, British journalist, um, in the ni- in I think 1994. Hmm. But it didn't really catch on until recently. So when I started my research, the metrosexual was really kind of this this booming um, booming concept, and it was a way to uh, make sense of a new market that was emerging. That men were beginning to develop a consumer identity that was rooted in in the purchase of, of fashion and beauty services so that you, you know, in, a, in a, an economy where it becomes more difficult to, you know, um, stake your claim in manhood through your work, 
um, as more men are laid off, <clears throat> excuse me, they can purchase a sense of masculinity in these places, right? That as if we redefine manhood as something you can purchase, then it becomes more easily available. Mm. Because it seemed, and correct me if I'm wrong, that women still are uh, the, the major purchasing power uh, than, than, than the average man. And this may be giving more power back to men as a purchasing power. Yes. So uh, the beauty industry is a, a multi-billion-dollar industry, and the men's grooming industry has sort of a subsector of it, which I think is interesting to sort of separate that out. is uh, about worth about six point four billion dollars and growing, and it has grown through the Great Recession. So, um, so even as men are tightening their purse strings, um, so to speak, they, they are um, they're still spending money. Um, on, uh, on on products and on services um, to shore up their appearances, and I think that it it really comes down to what a great job um, you know uh, beauty product uh, manufacturers are doing tying the purchase of colognes and and other sorts yeah. of um, products to manhood, right? So even when you go into Target, right, there are men's products are exploding. Um, and there's even with um, Old Spice, which has been linked to, you know, among younger men, they sort of think of it as something that maybe their fathers or their grandfathers used, um, something for old men. It's becoming redefined as something that young men um, can buy, that it's hip again. Uh, mm. so there's a lot of money that's being poured into marketing these things as for men um, in a way that we haven't seen in the past. And, I mean, acts. Body sprays, yeah. lotions. I have kids now that can't leave without their body spray. And I'm like, you really, they need it really more when they get home, not when they're yeah. leaving. Right now they smell good. In a while, you're not going to smell so good. It's, uh, it's so powerful that, and I, I guess to kind of wrap it up, I love what you were telling us about um, kind of the, the homosocial environments and how they they can be it, might, it could be a great place to tutor and educate men in understanding themselves but also in understanding the power of the inequality of women but if we're not careful like the fraternity example you gave those environments also could just keep you know perpetuating stereotypes absolutely they can become toxic in many ways um, and this is not you know this happens in men's salons as well if men feel the labor that these women stylists are doing yeah. um, as well, right? So men don't just drink a beer at these places. Women fetch it for them. Uh. And they, they laugh at their jokes even when they're not funny, right? They're sort of a, a service as servitude that we can slip into if we're not careful. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Well, Dr. Kristen Barber, thank you so much for your insight into the, uh, I guess, the the fading barber industry. Thank you so much. Interesting stuff, folks. When you think about it, you, uh, where are you in all of this? Do you miss the old barbers? Do you miss the old barber chair? And are you into this, the new uh, grooming opportunities? Fun stuff. We'll take a break. Continue the discussion when we come back. Welcome back, friends. We're Fortune Cookie Song in celebration of Fortune Cookie Day. 
The fortune cookie, you're taking your life into your own hands. When you unwrap that plastic paper off of the fortune cookie, you break that cookie, and then you pull out the fortune, you have no idea what you're setting yourself up for. I think there's more danger in the cookie itself, breaking your tooth on that thing. I love fortune cookies. You love the stale cookies. I love the stale cookie, but I also love knowing that, hey, this the wisdom of ancient uh, cooks in the back of this uh, Chinese restaurant, they've put together something magical, and it's copyrighted. Do you remember the best fortune you ever received? Yes, and I carried it with me um, for years, waiting for it to happen, and it never happened. Hmm. But I, I don't want to say what it is, because, but it was basically that I would be filthy rich. Didn't have anything to do with a lumberjack? Not a lot of lumberjack fortunes. Haven't had those. No. Sorry. You want to hear some really rotten fortunes? Yeah, let's hear them. Okay, so you're going to have some new clothes. That's a great fortune. Or how about, maybe someday we will live on the moon. Hmm. Maybe. So that's kind of a fortune that they're not committing to. Right. They couldn't go all in on that. Here's another one. Okay. Don't panic. Oh, that's scary. Isn't that the number one thing you don't do when you don't want people to panic? Right. Is like say, now, don't panic. Why, why am I not panicking? Why? That's okay. scary. And then you talked about wisdom. One last one. In youth and beauty, wisdom is rare. Totally true. I kind of resent that because I'm You're beautiful both of those and things. Young. Well, I, I'm all three of those things, actually. And wise. Yeah. Yes. I see more of the beauty and the youth in you. I mean, I see wisdom. Don't get me wrong. But you just, you just ooze, ooze beauty. It's also Positive Thinking Day. When life gets you down, you know what you got to do? I don't want to know what you got to do. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do we do? That's really good advice from a fish. Dory. Dory. Is that her name? Dory. Dory. Not Dora. Dora the Explorer. Hey, it's also Defy Superstition Day. Are you very superstitious? I'm not. Knock on wood. I'm a little superstitious. I'm, uh, as Michael Scott said, I'm more justitious than superstitious. Are you superstitious? No. No, but I, uh, I'm a little OCD about some things, but that's different, I guess. Yeah, that's just a clinical diagnosis. I'll lock all the doors... Then I'll do a double take to make sure that they're locked. And then in my mind, I'm thinking, those doors aren't locked. And then I'll go back and check them one more time. Yeah. Yeah. That's not superstitious. That's super annoying to your spouse. She can't take it anymore. Hey, uh, we've got a crazy story here. A 49 year old from northeastern Germany lost his temper. And he inflicted damage on his adversary's car with the only thing that he had in hand, an 11-inch long sausage. While authorities give little details about the incident, they confirm that they are pursuing charges of verbal abuse against the 49-year-old and a 47-year-old, both male. And in the case of the 49-year-old, they're also investigating a charge of property damage after they found a one-inch dent on the other man's car 
which was inflicted by an 11-inch long sausage. The whole thing was a fight over a parking spot. You know, the video is pretty funny, but unfortunately we can't show the video. because yeah, it's radio. And since it's radio, I, I'm just curious to know, would you even know what it sounds like for a sausage to bounce off a car? Oh, sure. You I've, would. I've been in fights with people, you know, wielding a sausage before. Okay. Well, why don't we play a little game? Okay. I'm going to play three different sounds. Right. You tell me which one is the sausage <laughs> hitting the car. Okay. The sausage hitting the car sound. Choose... Here we go. Sound number one. That sounds a little. That sounded a little rigid. That sounded too hard. That was more of a brick sound. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Here's number two. Hmm. That sounds like it possibly was a sausage where they broke the casing, and the innards, highly liquefied, apparently came out. Uh, Let's hear the third sound. Okay. <laughs> Definitely the third sound. The third sound is the sausage sound. The third sound? Yeah. You lose. You get nothing. Good day, sir. Wow. That was incorrect. It was actually number two. So the casing did break. Oh, it's broken. That's how they left a one-inch mark in the middle of the car hood. Wow, I was off on that. The third sound. Hey, let me hear the third sound again. I don't know. That's a casing intact. That, sound, that sounds like sausage was popping out of somebody's mouth hitting a car. Yeah. Or it was popping into the mouth. Yeah. And it was a squeaky sausage. Are we talking squeaky sausage or are we talking Is there squeaky sausage, sausage or just squeaky cheese? I don't know, but have you ever had squeaky cheese in your sausage? Oh, that sounds really good. Sounds really good. Heat that bad boy up. Mmm. Matt like. Uh, so the guy's going to face fines now because of the sausage dent. Who'd have thunk that 11-inch sausage could actually dent a man's car? But when it hits like this, it's got to make some impact. <laughs> Yeah. Thousands of sausages were harmed in the making of that, that little segment there. Poor Jeff had to go chase down sausage all yesterday just to figure out when and what it sounds like. Hey, uh, we will uh, take a break. We got a great hour coming up next hour. We're going to be talking about, uh, well, with our great friend Ron Hager, about this new kind of trend of e-cigarettes and vaping. I guess they're the healthier way to smoke, right? The healthier way of getting nicotine in your body? We'll see. We'll see. Stick with us. Fun stuff just ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. To vape or not to vape? That is the question that our good Dr. Ron Hager will be asking uh, and answering today. E-cigarettes and vaping, if you've ever you know, pulled up next to a car and you see somebody just blowing vapors all over their car, that person's vaping. 
They're finding a different way to get... You, you can always tell because there's just huge plumes of white smoke. Yeah. It's the... Uh, it was invented by someone with asthma. Right. Having... Taking a, a little uh, albuterol treatment. And then someone thinks, hey, we ought to just put nicotine in this. Bada boom, bada bing. I always think of the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. <clears throat> Who are you? <laughs> Using the hookah. Yeah, he's got a hookah, I was going to say. That's a hookah. Which is uh, different because when you do it in Hawaii, what's it called? A huki, a huki lao. Mm. I'm not sure. Probably not. That's accurate. But we'll be talking about e-cigarettes and vaping. Are they the healthier choice? Are they more healthy than smoking a cigarette? It's got to be, right? Fire versus electrical vaporization. Hmm. We'll find out. We'll find out. We they, get do, into they, all of that. they do have problems with the actual vaping sticks exploding. That's, you know what? Because you got the LED same right. thing with the phones or the right. hoverboard that's been happening. Nothing ruins your day more than when your vape stick explodes. And a lot are happening with people who modify them, the vape sticks, yeah, the to turbo. give them more smoke mm-hmm. and they don't solder things correctly or however it works. Like when they and, take the governor out of them. And, right. Yeah. The governor. Exactly. Governor. Probably not how it works. But then it explodes, and you, there's videos on YouTube of people like their pants ex- on fire and they're running around. Are you serious? <laughs> Does it explode when they're vaping? Some have, have exploded in, in their your face. face. Yeah. That's trad. That's horrible. But a lot of them, the ones that explode, have tended to be ones that have been modified. So makes you wonder if Hillary's been vaping. Why? Well, she's got pneumonia. Or, or was it her body double? Or was it her body double? <laughs> Now there's talk out there that Hillary Clinton has a body double that's got some really bad health issues. That's the rule. If you're going to hire a body double, make sure they're healthy. Mm. You don't want your body double passing out and everyone thinks it's Hillary. Then you've got to jump back into the limelight. You don't want to do that. Apparently one of Hillary's shoes flipped under the car. Yes. Lost a shoe. And then that's bad. The when trailing you've got have... car picked it up. Yeah. yeah. That's hard. I, I mean – there's, you know, everybody that's ever gone to a university somehow got home without a shoe. They just lost their shoe somewhere. People usually lose socks, though, not shoes as much. We lose a sock a day at our house. <laughs> Major sock problem. Hey, it's Positive Thinking Day. Today's the day that you set aside time to concentrate on positive things. I'm positive this may go wrong. Oh, see, that's not a positive thing. That's positive. That's as positive as it gets for you today. At times. That's kind of a double negative. Which makes it positive. Oh. So we're back to square one. Two negatives make it positive. There you go. It's also fortune cookie day. Mm. Are you big into fortune cookies? No, not really. They're kind of tasteless fluff, but that's fine. Mm. This is a very popular song. And then you, you read it, and it's vague enough that it might apply to everyone. Yeah. You will get new clothes today. And then there's always your lucky numbers on the back. Hey, this one doesn't. No lucky Is numbers? Panda Express not doing the lucky numbers anymore? No. They cut corners. Wow. Those pandas need to get on it. Well, it's Panda Express. If you just went to Panda, mm. regular, non-Express. More of the upscale. You'll get, you'll get numbers. By the way, it also says Panda Inn. Do they own a, a hotel yeah. chain, Panda, Panda Inn? Panda Inn and um, what are they called? 
Yeah, it's 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 one of those great little. Uh, there's a motor lodge. There's a motor lodge they're, if you need it. They're diversifying the brand. Mm-hmm. Smart, smart. <laughs> Panda Inn. It's also Defy Superstition Day. Today's the day that we give up on all superstitions. Don't worry about black cats. Walk under a ladder if you must. Mm. You know, throw drop salt on the table. Don't throw salt over your shoulder. Don't do any of that stuff. It's a mess. Someone has to clean that up. That's right. Don't do any of that. Just give up on all your superstitions, which I don't think these sports teams can do. You know, you got to wear the socks that never get washed. and That's gross. Turn we'll, your hat inside out. Yeah. yeah. Rally caps. We'll be talking with BYU Sports Nation, see if they have any crazy or strange superstition. Hmm. I mean, they, they, they've, they've got some, I'm sure. Of course. Um, plus, we'll do a hero of the day. Hmm. And... Just a lot of other crazy stories, believe it or not. Stories that you may not even need to know about, but we want you to know about. New Including food. New, new food. food from Burger King. Yeah. We, we've brought you the, uh, what do they call it? The Whopperito. <laughs> a Whopper in a burrito form. Yeah. The Mac and Cheetos, mm. which I taste tested, sent you photographic yes. proof, and was completely grossed out by. Yeah, you couldn't come to work the next week. So we have another installment of what is Burger King doing And what food. better day to do it than the day Ron Hager's here. Right, so he can shame and ridicule us all for attempting to think about eating yeah. such things. Is, is it the Whopper IV? No. I love a Whopper IV. Just right before I go into bypass surgery, I'm going to have a Whopper IV on the rocks. Mmm. Wow. But before we get to all of that, let's get to Caitlin Thomas with the headlines. Caitlin, what's up? Thanks, Matt. In the latest NBC News Survey Monkey weekly presidential tracking poll released this morning, Donald Trump now trails Hillary Clinton 48% to 44%, a gain of two points for Trump. In a four-way race, including Libertarian candidate Gary Johnson and the Green Party's Jill Stein, Clinton leads Trump by two points, 42% to 40%, with Johnson at 11 and Stein holding steady at 2%. Hillary Clinton's campaign team made the rounds Monday to assure the public that their candidate is perfectly healthy, aside from a minor bout of the common lung infection. Clinton reportedly hates drinking water. Two Clinton staffers revealed to Politico on Monday that getting the candidate to drink water is shockingly difficult. Clinton has been prescribed antibiotics to treat the pneumonia and and was advised to temporarily curtail her campaign schedule. A new Washington Post-ABC News poll pegs President Obama's approval rating at an astonishing 58%, his highest mark since 2009. And that should be good news for Hillary Clinton, but it certainly does not guarantee a Clinton victory in November. In Gallup's polling, Obama's approval rating is a healthy 51%, but while similarly high approval ratings for Ronald Reagan probably boosted George H.W. Bush in his 1988 victory, two second-term presidents with even higher job approval ratings, Bill Clinton in 2000 and Dwight D. Eisenhower in 1960, each saw their party's candidate lose the election, Gallup reports. So interesting. And lastly, Matt, yes. my favorite headline of the day, Miss Arkansas Savvy Shields won the Miss America pageant Sunday night in Atlantic City. She topped a field of 52 contestants to win the crown and the title of Miss America 2017, succeeding the outgoing Miss America Betty Cantrell. Her platform is titled Eat Better, Live Better. Mm. Mm. She will spend the next year serving and promoting her platform. See, you and would I watched, love that. I watched it, and she was wonderful. You were in the running for Miss Utah. That's, I'm telling you. But Utah did great, too. Did they? Yeah, she did. She did an awesome job. Well, but Arkansas been... took the crown. Are you from Arkansas? Awesome. She's Me, from no. Utah. She was Miss Lehigh. I was Miss Lehigh. If you look at her. It was a good time. Tell me she doesn't look like a Lehigh. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I don't either. Excuse me. That's rude. You're wonderful. 
Thanks. So is Savvy Shields. Yes. Congratulations, Miss Arkansas. Or Arkansas, depending where you're from. Well done. Regional distinction there. (laughs) Regional distinction. Okay, so we have got so much to talk about. And, uh, boy, where do we begin? I guess we've got to get to the food. Uh, Burger King is at it again. So, as we talked about, Whopperito. Yeah. I love anytime you add an ITO to a a phrase. Tortilla, and you put all the ingredients of the Whopper in the tortilla. Tortilla. Then there was the Mac and Cheetos. Yeah. Which were kind of a fried crust, mm-hmm. the Cheeto-looking thing Remember inside we, of it was was actual like mac and cheese. Yeah, we used to call it the Cancerito. Yeah, it was. I I I, I bought some. They were a couple bucks. It was gross. Grocerito. They didn't really taste like Cheetos. Tasteless Rito. or mac and cheese. It just sort of had some stuff in it. It was kind of mm. not recommended. Now they're coming out with an absurd new menu item called Cheeto Chicken Fries. Ooh. Hold on. The, Let me get this yes, yes, Cheeto. Cheeto. Chicken. Chicken. Fries. Fries. So it involves some chicken product, some Cheeto product, and in the shape of a fry. Yes. So the dish features white meat chicken, allegedly, uh, similar to that of Burger King's original chicken fries covered in a crispy Cheetos-flavored breading. See, they must have found from the other Cheeto test that people like the breading of Fritos or Cheetos. Cheetos. Yeah. So here comes the marketing pitch. Okay. This is the chicken fries are cooked to crispy perfection so that they have a dangerously cheesy outside and a made with juicy white meat chicken inside, the company says. Dangerously cheesy. Dangerously cheesy. Huh. Dangerous meaning could cause heart disease. Or cancer or Will. any other number of issues. We're going to have to ask Dr. Ron about these. Yeah. I have a feeling he's, his, his, his mouth is salivating right now. Yeah. I don't know if this is really the choice that you need to make. It'll be out later this week uh, for a limited time, of course. What? Now, why only a limited time? Uh, I think they're trying to create demand. Legal issues. There could be legal issues. I mean, you don't want to have a, something on the market that may or may not cause a seizure. So it's a, you chicken, it's a white chicken product with that's, that looks like a fried, but simply because it's coated in Cheeto dust. Yeah. Yes. There you go. And deep fried, I guess. So it's a chicken finger with Cheeto dust. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. So yeah. Burger King is kind of like a dream factory. They're yeah. If you can be. dream it, they will make it. If you can dream it and it involves a Cheeto, absolutely. They can do anything with Cheetos there. So good luck with that. Good luck with that. And by the way, because we'll be talking about e-cigarettes, should you be smoking these Cheeto chicken sticks? They're probably flammable with all the chemicals they use to yeah. create such a thing. We'll have to ask the good doctor about that. See if he's uh, we used. You know, he's the guy that he's the death preventer. And if I happen by a Burger King, will you try him out? I will try them. Try him out. Send him. Send us a picture. We'll I want to do that this for time, the show. The last time you just sent a picture of the actual fry. I want. I want to see you eating one. Wow. I want to see you placing it in your mouth. Okay. And because I had a, an endoscopy yesterday, they went down my throat. Wow. I, I'd like to I'd like to see it go down. No. How so, many cheesy chicken fries did they find down there? No, you won't believe what they found down there. There was a shoe. 20 pennies. There was a Frisbee. License plate. Yeah, license plate. Some toys when you were a kid. Those were the days. Penny. Like Jaws. Remember in Jaws, you'd just pull. There was a game called Jaws where in the gut of the shark were all of these things. License plates and cars and tires yeah. and yeah. It was all down there. Okay, well. I saw my innards. 
Nasty. They look great. Did they really? Seriously great. Better than expected? Mm-hmm. Mm. Clean. <laughs> no barnacles? No barnacles. <laughs> I was barnacle free. So that's all good news. It's a fortune cookie day, which is a day that many people overlook because they just think it's a gross cookie. But it's not about the cookie part. It's about the wisdom brought to you by the ages Mm. and then mass produced in some plant in China. Speaking of wisdom. Yeah. There's new words in the English dictionary. What? Here are the words. Ready? Yes. YOLO. YOLO. You only live once. That's yeah. a word in the dictionary now. Yoga lattes. <laughs> yoga latte? Yeah. It's a combination of yoga and Pilates. Oh, wow. I was getting thirsty for yeah. that one. Uh, forget about it. Forget about it. Spelled F-U-H-G-E-D-D-A sure. about it. Uh, what else is there in here? These are all words in the dictionary now? Yeah. So this is the word. This is the Oxford English Dictionary. They're, they're bare. I guess the you have to clear the bar of a reasonable amount of time used of use in society. See, so but you can't see some professor at Oxford thinking, these Americans drive me crazy. <laughs> That's all us. We're ruining the English language. Forget about it. Yoga lattes. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, some of these you can't. Yeah, as you can see, I edited some of the uh, copy of the words that are now included. YOLO. YOLO. You only live once. And if you listen to our next guest... You'll live longer. But if you don't, you're dead. So stick with us. We will take a break when, we be ba- when, we, when we're back. Dr. Ron Hager will be joining us. He's going to be talking about e-cigarettes and vaping. Folks, YOLO. You only live once. Marco. YOLO. I think that's a different one. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us, we're pleased to have Dr. Ron Hager back with us. Ron is an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at Brigham Young University. And his area of expertise is chronic disease prevention. Uh, We call him the health evangelist. He's trying to make us healthy one way or another. I'm doing my best. You're doing a great job. (laughs) I'm trying. I I even went and had my innards checked out for you. The health evangelist, though, is that... Yeah, I guess. I guess, as long as I'm not a certified, yeah, you're not. You're not e- evangelical minister. I'm you're not. Yeah, you're not a paid evangelist. Okay. You're All just. Right. You're just the health evangelist. All right. So today we're we will be talking about e-cigarettes. Yeah. And vaping. Vaping is like the new sensation. Um, the problem is, I, I guess, it's got to be better than smoking all the fumes and toxic waste that was in a cigarette, right? That's, it, isn't that the argument everyone makes? That is the Vaping. argument, and it is. You know, it is uh, actually research shows that it's significantly safer. But, uh, you know, I, I have heard people say things like, um, you know, that the the vapor is just a water vapor. It's just water. Yeah, but that, but that's not really the case. But the you know the the data that have come out, and, and you have to realize too that this hasn't been going on very long. So the long term effects, yeah, we don't know. We're not going to see that for for decades. Um, but th- these are the studies you talked about. This smoking, for example, is one of the 
it's one of the things we can fix by not doing it. You can, if you cannot <laughs> yeah. smoke, yeah. it's probably the healthiest thing you can do immediately for your health. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago we talked about this, and you know, smoking uh, tobacco products is a uh, is a leading cause of death worldwide. Right. Uh, perhaps you know the most significant cause of death, preventable cause of death, because it is a hundred percent preventable. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know that. I mean, a lot of people say, "Well, I, you know, I use this these you know, vapes or e-cigarettes to, you know, to to quit smoking. You know, it it contributes to smoking cessation." But you know, I spent quite a bit of time looking into that too, and the, the research, you know, on the people who are doing these things, uh, that that's not the case either. Right. So a lot of people actually become dual users. So Do the, they really? So they use the 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 vape or the e-cigarette and the traditional cigarette. And yes, they have cut down on their use of the the regular or normal cigarette, uh, but they but they are using them both. And the the evidence on you know the actual effect on smoking cessation uh, shows that uh, it's it's not any more uh, or really less effective than other types of smoking cessation. Because approaches isn't it it's basically just delivering nicotine yeah and of course the the solutions or the the e liquids or the vapor vape liquids are uh, available in nicotine free uh formats but uh you know the the survey research and the evidence also again suggests that nearly everyone uh, uses the nicotine-based solutions. And mm. and you can get solutions with varying concentrations of nicotine, you know, from, you know, lower amounts versus higher amounts and, and that kind of thing. But nicotine is an extremely addictive substance, maybe one of the most addictive that have ever been known. And it's, uh, and it's absorbed uh, just about any way uh, that you want it to be absorbed. I mean, you can put it on your skin and it's readily absorbed through your skin. I mean, it is a potent right. compound. And so, uh, obviously, it can be absorbed through the airways, too, as you breathe it in uh, through the lungs. Because they also, I mean, I guess you can use vaping for other drugs as well, right? You can use it for marijuana. Sure. You can put yeah. other, any, any drug in and yeah. vape it. Well, in fact, sometimes medications, I mean, legitimate medications right. are used in an aerosolized format in order to get it into the patient. Uh, and, you know, and so it... it it's an interesting phenomenon that's occurring. Uh, the, probably one of the saddest things that I learned is that uh, the, the 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 fastest growing segment of the population that are becoming e-cigarette users or vapors uh, are young uh, children, uh, not well, adolescents more. You know, teenagers and young adults. Hmm. It's it's becoming massively popular there. And it's very technical. I mean, it's some of these you can actually plug into your computer yeah. for distribution amounts and, I mean, change the, the change the numbers on the device. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it almost seems like a technical, technological thing. Like, you're cool, man. You've, you've got an iPhone and you can vape. <laughs> yeah. Well, it probably won't be long before you can use your phone as a vape. I mean, I don't know. It's, Holy cow, yeah. Something's uh, going to happen. You know, so, you know, what's the downside of it? I mean, it, you aren't at least burning Burning tobacco leaves and inhaling tobacco leaves. Correct, but you know, anytime you burn anything, yeah, you're changing at least in some ways. Uh, you know, the, the the chemical nature of whatever it was originally, and and there is enough. I think 
there's a you know, and I spent quite a bit of time because I wasn't real familiar with this. I spent quite a bit of time looking into this, and you know, most of the research is you know, 2014, 2015, and a lot in mm. 2016. This is all pretty brand new stuff. But uh, I came across uh, a number of uh, you know peer-reviewed uh, research articles. One in the American Journal of Medicine from 2015. Um, it's uh, it's just about e-cigarette use, and it's it's a review basically. Uh, you know, the, these products have only really been on the U.S. market since about 2007, so only about 10 years. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and they simulate smoking. So it is a way, like you said, to get nicotine uh, into your body. Uh, but the, you know, the short, even the short-term effects are still unclear. But some studies have been done, you know, to look at, you know, what happens from an acute standpoint. And in, in one particular study, they looked at the physiological effects of uh, e-cigarette use, and they looked at a number of parameters, uh, you know, like serum carbon monoxide levels, because that's a that's a an issue you face if you smoke a traditional cigarette is you're inhaling a lot of carbon monoxide, right. which you know obviously is not good for you. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you know cars put out of their exhaust, so you know that's not good for you. Well, there is no uh, effect uh, on the body regarding carbon monoxide levels because there's it, it's not the same kind of of um, of combustion. Yeah, right. You know, that you get with a regular cigarette. But diastolic blood pressure, significant increase. By using an e-cig, yeah. your diastolic uh, blood pressure goes up. Yeah, and that's usually the lower number, which is typically – That's the one uh, they would look at. Yeah, well, I mean, systolic and diastolic are both important. But, for example, going out for a run can elevate your systolic blood pressure. Your diastolic tends to remain the same. Huh. But uh, – so, you know, not a lot of things – Outside of you have the potential to to increase your diastolic blood pressure, but e-cigarettes do that. They also increase heart rate after only maybe five to ten minutes of use. Wow. So your heart rate goes up significantly. Um, and there's also some known uh, what are called respiratory impedances. Um, and this is a marker of peripheral airway flow resistance. So uh, you're you're not breathing as well, hmm. basically. Because yeah. you're on an e-cig. Because you're on an e-cig. So, you know, uh, a lot of times people say, you know, that cigarette use kind of takes their wind away. You know, their their endurance, their ability to, you know, get their resp- resp- uh, respiratory rate up. And apparently e-cigarettes can do that, hmm. that very same thing. So another study in 2016 uh, from a journal called Thorax. Uh, <laughs> sounds like a Dr. Seuss journal. Totally. Thorax. <laughs> anyway, uh, they looked at... Uh, a chronic uh, e-cigarette exposure in uh, mice. So, of course, you know, you can do things in animal models that you can't do in humans. Right. So a lot of researchers are looking at things in animal models like mice. But what they find found is that it induced features of COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Uh, so, you know, that was kind of interesting as well. Wow. Uh, the purpose of the study uh, was to investigate the effects of exposure to aerosolized nicotine-free and nicotine-containing e-cigarette fluid on mouse lungs, but they also looked at normal human airway epithelial cells. So this was outside the body, you know, where they probably either uh, from a, a cadaver or did some kind of a scraping of cells uh, to culture those, and then they exposed them to the to the aerosolized uh, uh, vapor. Uh, from both nicotine-containing solutions and non-nicotine-containing solutions. But uh, it was interesting because the, uh, 
you know, because the user can choose, right? Right. Uh, but like I said, research shows that most choose nicotine-containing uh, uh, fluids that they put in their, their vapes or their e-cigarettes. So what they found is that the nicotine uh, did enhance uh, airway hyperreactivity. So it made the airway more sensitive uh, to, to inflammation and, uh, and, uh, uh, and changes, actually, in the, mm. in the cellular structure. In, in the lung epithelial cells of uh, the mice, there was actually DNA changes that were occurring. And uh, and one of the most important findings, I think, from this study is that they found that nicotine uh, suppressed apoptosis in lung tumors. Now, apoptosis is a, is a natural uh, sort of a cellular self-destruct mechanism. If a cell has a mutated DNA or some other defect or something going on, uh, apoptosis causes cell death so that that cell, especially if it has a DNA mutation, cannot replicate keep and continue to grow. Oh, so it would so, keep it alive. And so nicotine suppresses the self-destruct mechanism, allowing, uh, you know, for potential tumor growth. Holy cow. So it keeps tumors growing when without the nicotine, they may just die out. Yeah. So these are these are some interesting yeah, things. Not what you want. No, not for sure. Not what you want. Let's, let's do this. Okay. Let's take a break. Uh, we're speaking again with Dr. Ron Hager. He's talking to us about e-cigarettes and vaping. When we come back, we're going to talk about what because you don't just vape the nicotine. There's there's other fluids in there, and he's going to talk about what happens when you're when you're taking those other fluids that are in the vaping liquid into your system. Crazy stuff, folks. You think it's a kinder, gentler way to get the nicotine in your system, but it's still causing harm, folks. And we and we still don't fully know the impact. We'll be right back. back, friends. Joining us, Dr. Ron Hager. He's our health evangelist. He's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at Brigham Young University. He's teaching us about uh, the the real data that's coming out around e-cigarettes and vaping, not necessarily as healthy as everyone would like to claim it is. It is more healthy. More healthy than, than the, regular than, cigarettes. Than cigarettes. But, but let, me, let me just ask you, you know, a, a question or, or at least pose a uh, a question, you know, to anybody, uh, you know, in your life, are you, especially regarding your health, but even maybe just other things going on in your life, I mean, are you are you trying to figure out what's going to hurt you the least? Right. Or are you trying to figure out what's going to help you the most? Right. You know, I, I mean, it, 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 the lesser of two evils doesn't make something correct or right, mm-hmm. you know? I mean... People have this mentality, and of course, the marketing and the advertising and all this, whether it's whether it's Burger King or whether it's you know these these vape and e-cigarette manufacturers, uh, they 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 try and make you think that because it's not smoking, it's okay. Yeah, it's bubblegum. You smell like bubblegum. But but that's clearly not 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 the case. So right. so I just want you to consider: Are you trying to figure out what? harms you the least, which seems ridiculous to me, you know, or are you trying to figure out what's really best for you? Because you're still 
just you're also still trying to medicate yourself, right? You're 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 just yeah. using this to get some stimulant in you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and like I said, there's a number of studies that have looked at you know very short term effects, uh, you know, outside of the body models, you know, because uh, you know, I mean, obviously, over time, you know, maybe a couple of decades from now, or maybe even a generation or more from now, this is how it went with smoking. Uh, you know, the the effects are are slow to develop. Uh, you know, this is a whole the, the whole issue with chronic disease. I mean, this. I mean, why do people choose to eat unhealthy, or why do they choose not to exercise? I mean, if if you ate whatever it was you were talking about, uh, you know, Cheeto chicken fries or mm-hmm. whatever, and you had, you know, say, uh, you know, within a twelve hour period, you had a significant adverse health event, <laughs> right? You know, and and you and you survived it, there's a good chance you wouldn't eat those anymore. Yeah. But when it takes decades for the for the symptoms to manifest, then you say, what's the harm? You know, but of course, 20, 30, 40 years later, if you're actually having the heart attack, you might, I'm certain you're probably wishing that that wasn't occurring. Right, right. You know, so it, it, it's a tricky thing. And it's, I guess part of this is, well, it's just nicotine. It's not, you yeah. know, but but part of what you're talking about too is the vapors made up of um, the aerosols made up of other stuff. Yeah, there's other chemicals in there that get it to burn so cleanly and vaporize. Yeah. Now, in another study that came out in uh, 2016 in the journal Toxicology, <laughs> okay, so if it's in the journal Toxicology, it ain't a good sign. <laughs> it's probably not a good sign, right? Right. Uh, so they're looking at you know use of e-cigarettes and. And uh, and what they call some unresolved safety concerns, uh, and they and the first thing they say is that, you know, that there is a common belief that e-cigarettes e-cigarettes release merely water vapor, uh, and they say that's that's incorrect, right? And, and it doesn't, you know, as George Bush would say, it doesn't take a rocket surgeon, <laughs> you know, to know that you're not just inhaling water right. vapor because you've got this this sticky, uh, gooey liquid. That is actually being heated to a you know a pretty high temperature. I mean, just superheating something is yeah, going yeah. to create something else. Yeah, one of the things that happens when you when you very you know heat things to high temperatures is you create solvents because if it changes from one form like a liquid to a vapor, you're actually having to go through you know chemically some dissolution uh, 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 states and. And, and so, with this, uh, you know, with, with these solvent byproducts, I mean, what you have when you heat something are solvent byproducts uh, that are generated by heat, and these are toxic substances. In this, in this study in toxicology, um, they found that you know the solvent byproducts that are released in the vapor, uh, and and the flavoring additives. So that's mm. one of the uh, you know attractions to these things is you can you know you can vape. Uh, strawberries, or you can yeah. vape uh, watermelons, or you know, yeah. or whatever, and get your nicotine fixed. But it tastes like a watermelon, and you don't smell like a cigarette, right? So, so, so many of the toxic substances that are present in what are called, uh, you know, uh, tobacco con- combustion side streams, and what you inhale. So, from a regular cigarette, you know, many of those toxic substances are absent or negligible in the e-cigarette hmm. uh, vapor, uh, but those e-cigarette vapors—that doesn't mean they're safe. So, yeah, right. You know, so you have to follow through 
with asking the hard questions. Uh, and what this research found is that those e-cigarette vapors have been shown to contain traces of heavy metals, as well as carcinogenic and teratogenic uh, agents. And, you know, carcinogenic are those things that cause cancer. Teratogenic are things that cause uh, developmental defects, like birth defects. Oh, wow. Yeah, so those are – those exist. Those exist in the and, vape. Yeah, and, and it's not – that's not because of the nicotine. Those things are derived from the flavoring additives that are in the vape liquid. So that, yeah. So that's nicotine-independent effects, right? right? And, and in a final study, uh, this also in, the, in, in a journal called Toxicology Science from 2016 – uh, this was pretty fascinating uh, because they used um, human umbilical vein endothelial cells. So they take the umbilical cord after birth and then they, they use the cells in the veins to see uh, what effect uh, e-cigarette aerosol uh, has on that and also conventional cigarette smoke has on that. Okay, so they're comparing regular cigarette smoke to the aerosol yeah. uh, from the e-cigarette. And they and they exposed these 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 vapors to the the human uh, cells, the umbilical vein endothelial cells, for anywhere from four to seventy two hours. And uh, the cells were found uh, to have uh, higher uh, levels of, of reactive oxygen species, which just means free radicals. Oh wow! So free radicals in the body are are normal. Yeah. Uh, but if they're in uh, kind of uncontrolled concentrations, don't, normally the body can handle, uh, you know, inherent free radical production. But if you're you're kind of increasing the free radical concentration, it can actually cause cell uh, damage at the DNA oh, wow. level. It can cause DNA mutation. So uh, it, they, it also caused they, – they saw DNA damage, okay? And it significantly reduced cell viability, uh, meaning – you know, the normal functioning of the cell. Man. Yeah. So not – so your your warning is what? Well, so so my warning is, you know, there is, there is a consensus out there among the users and among the researchers that, that uh, you know, vaping or e-cigarette use is significantly safer than cigarette smoking. Yeah. But the, 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 the real, you know, end of the story is – that it's still far from safe. Yeah. So I go back to what I said earlier. Are you are you really interested in just figuring out what hurts you the least? <laughs> or are you interested in figuring out what's going to help you the most? And at a common sense level, Matt, I mean, do you do you really think that inhaling chemicals into your lungs is is the right thing? All right. No. I mean, your lungs were meant to inhale one thing, one thing only, air. You know, and then, of course, you could argue, oh, there's pollution in there. Well, sure. see, then you're making excuses and you're rationalizing. But we don't want that either. For your behavior. No, right. you don't want that either. You want the best, cleanest air you can get. I mean, if a bus takes off right next to you, you're going to close your mouth and do what you can to not take in some of that. Yeah. You're not going to just start sucking in the fumes to get as much in as you well, can. Well, not if you're interested in what's helping you the most. Right. Yeah. Mm. Well, you did it again, Dr. Ron. I That's tried. why we call you the death uh, – what do we call you? The death avoider. Avoider, yeah. He's the yeah. guy that makes sure you'll never die. <laughs> thanks. Health evangelist is what we call him. Dr. Ron Hager, thanks so much. Ron is Associate Professor of Exercise Sciences in the College of Life Sciences at BYU. Watch out for the e-cigs, folks, and the vaping. Not as clean as you think. 
Not as healthy as you want to make it seem. We'll take a break. Be right back with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Hey, How? have you seen Stevie Wonder's new haircut? No. Neither is he. Oh! <laughs> Who did you use that on the other day? Steve Cafusi. Oh, yeah, Steve Cafusi. <laughs> he was like, ha, that was terrible. That is horrible. <laughs> that is horrible. I feel bad for laughing. Hey, today, by the way, is Defy Super- Superstition Day. Defy Superstition Day? Yes. What does that entail? Superstition. (laughs) It means today's the day you no longer buy into black cats. You no longer buy – you can walk under a ladder if you want to. You don't need to throw salt over your shoulder if you spill some. Just defy it. Great. Harry, that's the last (laughs) thing we need on this trip. Quick, hurry, throw some salt over your shoulder. (laughs) See, you know the the line. (laughs) Sea bass. Then you're going to get beat up by sea bass every time. No, we're with sea bass. We're with that guy over there. You guys, I'm telling you, um, talk to me. Okay. I wasn't here yesterday to do a debrief on the game. Mm-hmm. But, oh, boy, you're going to shred that up with us? Well, I just, I kind of... <laughs> I, I thought re- we were moving past that. I know you were. And today, your question, I think it's today, uh, is about... I actually have more confidence in Kalani Satake after that game. I think People he's bad Kalani to the bone. People love Kalani Satake because of the emotion and passion and uh, just he wears his emotions on his sleeve yeah. on the sideline. People yeah. love that. They relate to it. I think it's cool. Yeah, he's so likable, right? He really so, is. So we're, we're going to break down um, on both sides of the ball, defensively, offensively, and Spencer and I uh, agree, but just slightly different, but it's going to create a huge chasm. Oh, yes. really? So we'll have a fun discussion in yeah. the, in the uh, I love seconds. it when you guys create a chasm. And then Blaine Fowler and Brian Logan. It happens Logan naturally. Well. <laughs> it was a uh, it was an interesting game. I mean, I kept saying if they win the turnover war, they're going to win. That That's just, the frustrating thing, right? Yeah. Force, force uh, six turnovers, uh, and then it came down to the wire when when it probably shouldn't have. If if BYU can cash in on those turnovers at a higher rate, then then they're in business because the defense right now is second in the country in turnovers gained. So with eight, Ohio State's the only uh, team ahead of BYU. Holy cow. That's so huge. They're great yeah. at, at turning teams over right now. Defense. Now we just got to score. That's Yeah. The turnovers are interesting. To some degree, they're lucky, right? Right. The pick six for Utah, that's a lucky bounce. Totally. You know that? Totally. Defensive backs, hands, and then he runs into the – I mean, that's just That's, that's just crazy. Um, fumbles, you can get the ball out. But at a minimum, you prevent a score on that drive from the other team. Yeah. And that's great. Kainakua in the end zone. Uh, prevents a touchdown on that possession for Utah. And or perhaps that's the difference for Utah is that one of their turnovers resulted directly in one of their touchdowns. Exactly yeah. in the first they only play. Put up Thirteen points offensively. I mean, I would be really low. I would be worried if I were Utah. Well, they're not worried anymore. They won. Well, I know, but they got to go forward, and they got to. They were they were held. Oh, who cares about those guys? Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Hey, I hope they lose the rest of the game. Uh, let me change your subject for you just so you guys can relax on sports. Not to be mean, but... um, Burger King is releasing a new menu item called Cheetos Chicken Fries. Well, they had chicken uh, Cheeto fries during the summer. We actually tried them. I gained four pounds. But How did you... does that relate to no, superstition? No, but you had Cheeto macaroni fries, didn't you? 
These are chicken chicken Cheeto fries. Yes, I'm going there, to dispel. A huge difference. I'm going to dispel <laughs> the superstition that eating those Cheeto chicken fries won't make you overweight. Really? I I am not superstitious. Yeah, eat, go eat them. I'm and, just a little stitious. I'm just a lot stitious. A lot stitious. Thank you, Michael Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Scorn, FBI. Freeze. <laughs> Scorn. Michael Scarn. Scarn. I always say Scorn. You guys, um, so why don't you go to lunch and pig out just this week? We'll do a little test. So the norm. Well, the norm. And I want you to come back and let's see if you gain some weight eating Cheeto chicken fries. Mm-hmm. Do they have even you watched, a- Have you watched the uh, – that reminds me of the documentary Super Size Me. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but haven't you ever – I always watch that when I eat, too. It just puts me in the mood. But know? don't you feel – Have you, you've had, like, the McDonald's hangover, right? Oh, the food oh, coma oh, from McDonald's? Yeah. It's a very real battle. It's totally real. What comedian is it that says, if you don't like McDonald's, you're lying? Oh, it's probably – Jim Gaffigan? Jim Gaffigan. Yeah, he's like, everyone loves McDonald's. And then you go to McDonald's I'm and, you see, and you see someone you know and you're, like, so embarrassed that you saw each other at McDonald's. <laughs> and the and the bonus fry that's at the bottom of every bag. Oh, Are you more fry. embarrassed to see somebody at Walmart or McDonald's? McDonald's. Neither. Walmart. <laughs> I love America. Walmart. I'm dressed up when I go to Walmart. I, I want to be seen. McDon- McDonald's is one of our greatest American exports of all time. <laughs> it's probably greater than many uh, third world countries. Americana. That's right. It's all right there. Exports. Walmart is pretty amazing. The other night I went and needed to get some things for my wife. Right. So I got her the blackest black mascara Ooh. by, I, I think, Maybelline or whatever. Yeah. And a and a ten dollar Chick fil A gift card. Okay, wow, your wife's she's having that a big day. That wasn't for her. Okay, that wasn't for her per se, but just like the variety involved. Oh. There, I'm like, okay, so I need to get some mascara and a Chick fil A gift card, <laughs> and I need some golf balls and right. a tourniquet, people and things. That's and I need right. some golf balls. That's yeah. right. Got all three in one place, and I got my brakes done. <laughs> you can get you can get your tires. There. It was and all taxes done as well. Plus and there is. A, there's a Manny McDonald's Penny. there. There's a McDonald's right there in the restaurant. And I rode the horsey. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, anything else on your show that we need to know about before we let you go? Brian and uh, Brian Logan, Dave, uh, who? Blaine Fowler. Blaine Fowler. Join us as well. <laughs> what? Brian, what? Brian Nixon and Blaine uh, Logan will join us. <laughs> wow. Powerful. Yes. Anything else? And just uh, fun will be had by all, I'm sure. Yes, yeah, fun be will be had by all it'll because. Be BYU football hosts UCLA. Big game. Huge game. Home. This season is so fun because it's just going to be compelling game after game after game all the way until week 10, and then it gets, you know, you you gear down a little bit there, but at that point it's November, basketball's heating up as well, so Mm. it's going to be good. Love it. This season's going to be fun. Okay, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. Thanks, Thanks. sir. Hasta la pasta. Bye. See ya. Yeah, that's true. They just line them up. UCLA now. But UCLA at home, I think that's a different game. That's a different game. They're going to stripe out the entire stadium. Black and white stripes. Makes me dizzy just thinking about it. Hey, um, you you decide on the Burger King wars. But uh, one story we got to get to is uh, this crazy story about raccoons caught at uh, through after having a romp through the Oklahoma Capitol. Two masked intruders were captured after entering the Oklahoma Capitol, rummaging through senators' offices and splashing around in a second-floor bathroom. We have video. 
That is a nasty raccoon. Senate officials say security footage shows the pair sneaking down to the Senate hallway on Wednesday night and exploring an office. A cleaning crew trapped the raccoons in the bathroom and called animal control, and that was the sound of animal control going in to get them. Dangerous. Oh, so dangerous. The funny thing about these raccoons is they, the raccoons, when they caught them, they didn't have any ID on them, so nobody knew where they lived. Address unknown, not even Dude, where do you live? We need to drive you home. <laughs> it's kind of sad. That sounded more like a dolphin. Oh, that was a dolphin. I, I only have one sound. It's the dolphin sound. <laughs> Who cares where the raccoons live for crying out loud? Hey, at least they're not bees. Did you hear the story about the bees? British Hospital has discovered it had a home to more than 100,000 bees when patients noticed honey dripping down the walls. Ugh. Can you imagine being in the hospital? Let's say you were in there because you're allergic to bees and you had a bee sting. Last month, they found a large colony of bees in the roof above a ward. 100,000 bees they had to get rid of. Hospital employees say honey was dripping down the wall through the ceiling tiles. It was all over the place. Bee experts say the hive had gone unnoticed for up to five years. It's thought the warm weather melted some of the wax, releasing the honey, and the beekeepers uh, removed some 70,000 bees by cutting a hole in the roof. I've, then, seen a, I've seen a swarm of bees in a church before. Have you really? Oh, yeah. No honey, though. No honey. Unfortunately. Honeyless bees. What are you going to do? Well, back to the hero of the day. Who better to be the hero than, listen to this, than just a group of students? More than 400 students and faculty showed support for a beloved teacher's fight against cancer by gathering outside his window to sing and to worship. The students, grades 9 through 12, and faculty of Christ Presbyterian Academy in Nashville assembled outside the home of the Latin and Bible teacher Ben Ellis, who's been undergoing chemotherapy treatment since he was diagnosed with cancer last year. The group sung and played for uh, for 30 minutes. A video from inside Ellis' home showed the powerful scene. It was shared by country singer Tim McGraw on Facebook, where it has now been viewed more than 21 million times. Ellis wrote a message to his students according to Good Morning America. I love you. I believe now more than ever that God is good and that he is with us. Shannon Lee Siebert uh, commented on the Facebook post saying that her daughter attends the school and loves Mr. Ellis, who taught her Latin for two years. We all love Mr. Ellis and his precious family, they say. The kids were giving back to him uh, some of the love that he has given to them. He is a definition of a teacher, a role model, and a servant. So to all of the 400 students that went out of their way to take care of their teacher, Mr. Ellis, uh, you're the heroes of the day. And Ben Ellis, our prayers go out to you. Take care of yourself and uh, use that love to help you get healthier. That's all heroes are, folks, just people that are there when we need them. And you can be those heroes. We can't do the show without you. We're here Monday through Friday to give you the information, the tools you need to live healthier, happier lives. And we'll be back again tomorrow. Until then, take care of each other. Make it a great one. And uh, we'll talk again tomorrow.